And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. It poses some really interesting questions. If you died, and then somehow a year later, you had one day, two days to come back, what would you do? I mean, first of all, would you tell anyone? You know? Because you've got to think like you've got people you left behind, right? But I mean, they've had a year now to cope with it, right? They've, they've had a year to deal with having lost you. They've had their grief. Uh, we hope they've, they've gone on in some way. You know, they've found a place to keep that and hold it. And now you're back for two days. But I mean, tell me, you could sit someplace and, you know, you just want to pick up the phone. So I thought about it. And I thought about it for a long time. And I thought the first person I'd want to call would be Eliza, my, my fiance, right? But of course, in this piece, she's she's gone, you know. And so that's another pressure on the character. And he's just got the whole concept of having come back from the dead in the first place uh, to deal with. It's it's a very interesting character for me. If someone were to step in and analyze this guy at a certain point in the film, I'm not sure he's always entirely sane, you know. I mean, he's going through some pretty wild shit. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you are here for episode 156, inching our way. <laughs> inching our way up. Every uh, week, I just, I, it, like, every time that you say, this is episode number, blah, blah, I'm just yeah. like, what? Yeah. What the fuck? It, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And I, and and it's funny, because I know, as I've said before, like, go when we did the, we just did the uh, the repeat show, the Redux show with Lorelai, the, the one on... Werewolves. 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 Yeah. And I know that, that if you go back, it's going to be like, I love this film. And then you listen to the new one, like, I, mean, I hate like, this film. It's like, wait a minute, you hated this film before, I know. but now you love it. But um, we have a guest. Yes, we which do. Which we're doing a lot lately, and that really rocks. Yeah. This guy, I was on this podcast a couple of years ago, and we discussed a couple of films, Nightwatch in the Fall, and I had a great time. Great movies. Uh, so I've always wanted to bring, once this thing got up and running, he was one of those names that's been on that sort of list. Um... Richard Smethurst is a blogger. He has a blog called From the Depths of DVD, DVD Hell, and he and he does podcasts, Game Warp, Asian Cinema Club, uh, TV Good Sleep Bad, which I think is a great title. Yeah, that is a great um, title. So welcome, sir. First of all, oh, welcome. thank you. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, great to finally be here. It's like another podcast mountain that I've uh, finally <laughs> clambered up. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Molehill. I mean, I think a, a... <laughs> you have like as a podcast, you have like these shows that you want to guest on, like you know, Feminine Critique or uh, Debatable Podcast. And now I'm here on the you know, looking out over the summit of the bonus material, and it's absolutely fantastic. There so, you go. Thank you for inviting me on. Awesome. And you thought I could blow smoke. <laughs> <laughs> but we we were talking about a topic, and we want to talk first a little bit about about Richard. But we thought we'd we'd always wanted to hit on um, the crow. Yeah, and uh, when when we asked Richard about a topic, he brought it up, and I thought, yeah, that's a really 
solid idea. Yeah, because we haven't really... I mean, we've talked about The Crow a couple of times. Well, it's not like we haven't talked about Bruce. Right, exactly. So Brandon, I think, comes along. Um, But this will be the first time that we kind of, like... The crow, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like we we examine it. Yeah, and examine it. <laughs> we put its put its feet in we, the stirrups. We dissect this crow. <laughs> but first, I want to ask about Richard. Tell me about yourself, man. Yeah, I know. Well, clearly, you ain't from around these parts, son. <laughs> um, but I want to know how how that happened. How you kind of happened? I mean, you're you're living in England, and and tell me about growing up. Were you a monster kid? All that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, well, obviously, if you're not guessed by the accent already, I'm from England. Um, originally born in Oldham and then grew up in Cornwall, which, as we were talking about off air, I mean, it's all coast and farmland and tourist trade and that sort of fun stuff. So all my sort of movie watching and stuff was basically what I could either get through tape trading or tape mainly off like mm. late night TV. And the films I was like growing up with, like in particular, I loved like Kung Fu movies. I love Godzilla movies. Um, and they sort of like, were sort of like the gateway for me. And at the same time, there's like a lot of sort of 1950s B movies, um, a lot of Ray Harryhausenhain uh, movies, so, like things like Clash of the Titans and yes. Jason the Argonauts. And you would watch these movies, you'd walk around your, friends houses who've got like slightly more liberal parents who didn't really keep too track of what they're watching you'd watch like the arnie movies and the slow movies and it was basically it was uh anything i could get into i was pretty much into i was always like looking for to watch these like cult movies or just find people who could recommend me things and i was lucky in the fact that my dad was a big film fan so he would like constantly show us things and a lot of things my mum probably wouldn't want me watching and we watched like the alien saga and watched predator and it was just uh it started off as like this fascination of how movies are made it's like this magic trick of like how do they chop, chop the guy's head off you know how do you create a guy who looks like an alien and then as i got into college it sort of became more about how the director works. I think it was watching A Clockwork Orange when it was finally re-released here in the UK, because, I mean, it was banned, as you guys probably well know, for a number yeah. of years in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, was only after the... De- it was a part of the whole Video Nasty thing, yeah? I think so. Uh, no, I mean, it was no. Kubrick who oh. made the choice to ban it in the UK. Really? Wow. Um, he was afraid that people would imitate it, and especially he was afraid for his family's life. Oh. Um so the rest of the world had AI as the final Kubrick film. And here in the UK, the Kubrick estate uh, released A Clockwork Orange. Hmm. And they cleaned it up. They gave it a really nice print. And I remember sitting in the theatre, and you've obviously got the opening of Clockwork Orange, and they've got, like, that white noise drone right. um, that sort of hits you. And we open, obviously, on the Moloko Milk Bar. And I remember seeing it, watching it, and thinking, this is absolutely fascinating. I like the way these shots are framed, the way that we've got Malcolm McDowell's voiceover. And it sparked this obsession with Kubrick that carried on through college. And obviously, being an angry young man, you obviously, there's other directors that you follow in with. Um, you're watching things like um, Taxi Driver and Goodfellas, like the Mafia sort of flicks. And through them, I sort of stumbled into like, um, it's around, I would say about 2001, we started to get in what we called like the new asian invasion and so films like uh battle royale uh takashi mikei's audition uh ring mm-hmm. these films started coming through through thailand asia extreme and i think through then i, I think it pretty much set my course to, of just like 
being obsessed with like Asian cult cinema as a whole. So mm-hmm. any film from like. Do you know Thomas Weiser? The name Thomas Weiser. I don't know Thomas Weiser. No, um, for myself, I mean, it was like Kim Newman and Mark Kermode were like okay. the two critics that I sort of saw as these like mental figures when I started writing myself around '99. Mm. Yeah, Weiser used to run Video Search in Miami, which was a video VHS tape tating thing. Right. And he's got I'm looking at him now. He's got a bunch of books on Asian cult cinema, Asian extreme cinema. He's got a great book called The Sex Films. They're all about don't Japanese. I re- don't I remember like either a website or yeah, they a were magazine. huge. It was these called the Asian days, cult cinema. Yeah, these yeah. were the days. There was that, but videotape a video uh, search in Miami were days where you'd get this weird like mimeographed catalog in the mail and it would be like have these lurid t- things and right. would, um, I, we talked a little bit about him with Sean Lewis when Sean Tai, was tai Seng was, was like tai that Seng. for a while Tai Seng yeah. was more of a like we have the rights to these Video Search of Miami mm-hmm. operated under what's called the Harris Act yeah, yeah. which means if it's not domestic if I have a film and it's not domestically available in America I can tape trade in America because I'm not breaking any copyright. Right? I remember I used to have a I used to have Legal a martial arts uh, school in Iowa and we had yeah. a martial arts video rental up front. Nice. And um, and I and I I buy these movies, right? And uh, on VHS and I can't remember the name of the company now. They, it used to be in all the martial arts magazines, mm-hmm. and then they went away. Yeah, sure. Um, FBI showed up. <laughs> exactly. We'll take all this shit. Yeah, it, it, was, it was like a copy of a copy of a yeah, copy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it had like five different languages and subtitles at the bottom. Yeah. But that's how I saw Eastern Condors. That's sure. How I saw, that's how I saw all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And we used to rent them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, I just remember like being so envious of the stuff you were getting on like Region One, yeah. Because we had nothing like that. I mean, this is pre-internet days, so if it wasn't being released by one of the specialty labels like Made in Hong Kong or Easting um, Hong Kong Legends, you just weren't going to see it. And I think we were kind of lucky around that '99 uh, to 2000 sort of period that you had all these specialty labels suddenly start appearing and these titles start coming across. I mean, we had Battle Royale years before you guys in the States. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I guess you're repaying us with by the fact we can we can't get Snowpiercer still over here. Yeah, what? Okay. Really? Nope. We were it's only had one showing in a Glasgow film festival and um it's never been it's never been back since. We still can't get it over here. Yeah. Consider yourself lucky. Wow. Yeah. Oh stop. It's okay. <laughs> <movie> sucks dead. <laughs> I hate that movie. I really, I hated that movie. Middle of a revolution and they stop for sushi. Stop. And I love hey, that director. Sushi's important. Yeah. To some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Apparently the people on the train. But, so, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But that's always been that way, right? There were those years where you couldn't get that the whole video nasty thing. And, and we get things. Canada. I go up into Vancouver sometime. I saw a three disc DVD set of Brotherhood of the Wolf up there. And I thought, what's this? I have that. <laughs> do you really? I have that three wow. set, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's but, great, though. So how do you get to blogging and, and that kind of thing? Um, well, I think blogging I sort of stumbled into. I mean, for a while I, I started off writing for other sites. I, mean, I started off writing for Depray Press. And through there I went on to write for a number of other sites. Some I'm not even going to bother mention because they don't pay their writers that well so they can go. Shuffle themselves, um, and it was basically I would just write for basically anyone who would want me. Uh, eventually, I ended up writing for 
of all things i wrote about skateboarding for kingpin for like a number of years and from there i just basically was able to just go from, somehow managed to felt upwards and just go from like one job to the next um Wait, were, were you a skateboarder um i was a skateboard enthusiast i was really not the best skateboardist but I can write passionately enough about skateboarding to get a job right. There you go. <laughs> Where they basically say, oh, go to an interesting place in Europe and write about skateboarding. And I was like, okay. I got that. I, I did an interview with Budgie once, and we were talking about drumming, and he goes, he goes, oh, you're a drummer. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I can talk a mean game. I ain't no big drummer. I ain't no drummer. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, for all through, through college and stuff, I mean, I was a skater punk, so it was like my whole scene was just hanging around with skaters and wow. arguing, arguing and fighting with surfers who pretty much thought they run the local town because it was like, <laughs> oh, it's a surf town. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> just because you splash around the waves going, woo and try yeah. to quit a lifestyle doesn't mean that it's <laughs> wow, a surf look town. At you. This is, I now know. the knives come out. That's hilarious. <laughs> Fuck those, those surfer guys. <laughs> those neo-punk roots run deep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was going to... I mean, I was listening to NoFX and Bava Religion and Rancid and... Oh, wow. All those uh, sort Something of things. And obviously, Descendants and that. Yeah. Uh, and, so, uh, it's so weird. Like, first of all, where do you surf in England? <laughs> you surf in Newquay. I okay. mean, we've got, like, one of the best... Surfing locations in the world in Newquay. Really? Uh, yeah, we have people from all over the world. I mean, it hosts the Boardmasters Festival. Oh, wow. Um, every year. And they would like, for years, they were talking about building an artificial reef, uh, which would mean you would have more, you would improve the surf there. But because of uh, its location and, I don't know, the wind or something, it's uh, got particularly good uh, good breaks. I mean, it's not you know, like Hawaii, like seven-foot waves or anything, but the sure. waves are particularly good. Um, and that's why it attracts surfers from all over the world. I mean, we got... It's where Kelly Slater came from. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Cool. Oh, wow. Sidebar, I just saw there's a documentary coming out with about Laird Hamilton. I'm excited. A, a new one? Yeah. Because I know there was one, like, a few years ago. I don't know. It might be the same one. I forget the title, but I just saw it. I'm a big, I'm a big Laird Hamilton fan. I, well, love, I love the idea of big wave surfing, because I like anything where it's like you could die. Yeah, he, yeah. well, he's he's a really good example of of that surfer philosopher guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. There's a book up there somewhere that he wrote. Yeah, that, you know. Well, it, I mean, let's face it: surfers have got one of the greatest movies they don't deserve in Big Wednesday. Yes, right, right, right. right they right, do right, not right. deserve a movie that good. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I, uh, I was a big fan of things like you ever see Riding Giants and. Yeah. Oh, God, step, step into liquid and yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, yeah, but Big Wednesday, man, it's yeah, like it's, you. It's, it's it's dude, like I <laughs> that that movie makes my tummy warm. <laughs> I think the perfect double feature. If you watch Big Wednesday and then you watch Endless Summer Two. Yes. There you go. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Endless Summer 2 is one of those surf movies that you don't even have to be a surfer to enjoy it. It's sure. just amusing watching these two guys go around and visit all these iconic surf spots. From like, I love the shtick in those movies where they're like, okay, we're going to run around the car like Keaton. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, you know, they were doing what they, they're doing at the time. You remember, especially with Endless Summer, there was no such thing as that kind of a movie. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, and then later you got, like, the Warren Miller films with skiing and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah very cool. There's a lot of that going so, on. So, um... 
I, I want to first, I think this is part of this process with this film, is I want to go around the table real quick and just give me a real quick, we'll start with Richard, but give me a real quick sort of bookmark. Where are you when this movie, When the Crow comes out? Uh, when the Crow comes out, I'm still in school. So it comes out and I think it was once it hit hit video at the time and it started getting sort of passed around that the details of this film is about, you know, it's this guy, he comes back from the dead and he's avenging his girlfriend who's been like raped and murdered. And the, I remember a lot of people talking about the style and like the violence and all these uh, sort of elements. And I mean, the actual look of the crow is just so iconic that, mm-hmm. and you see that, uh, see like the original cover and he's like got this almost demonic glow behind him. Yeah. And you think, wow, this, this looks so cool. And it's like darker than Batman. It's like the tagline or something like that yeah, and he was, it was like darker than the bat yeah the and uh the fact is this film was like one of those dvds that was like stocked in like record stores because it really tied in with like all the goth and uh counterculture at the time especially like the grunge scene mm-hmm. uh so a lot of record stores they would have like this small little dvd rack and you'd have like all the performance dvds and then you would have like this one copy of the crow like somewhere near the top and it was like just this constant, uh, constantly seeing it, people were going, just like really made me want to see it. And this is before I even knew it was like a comic book or anything to do with history. It was just this idea of what this film was and, and just the imagery of it, especially. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, 1994, I had a, a martial arts school mm-hmm. in Iowa. And um, uh, one of the things we taught there was JKD, who you know came from Bruce Lee. So Brandon Lee was big on my radar. Mm-hmm. I had met him like the summer before. I didn't know that. It, oh wow, at, that's Daniel cool. Daniel Santo School in in Los that's Angeles. That's even better. For like, that's, yeah, I well, know, but it's still you, pretty you know, cool. Like you know, for a second, it yeah, was like yeah, hi, yeah. hi. Um, and uh, the week before, I want to say the week or the week, or two weeks before Brandon passed away. Um, at my school mm-hmm. um, teaching a seminar and that's all we talked about at dinner that night was like man Brandon's poised you know he's yeah, he's, he's gonna, gonna be big in, he's gonna be big yeah, yeah 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 and it was so so fucking tragic you know yeah. when when that happened and um, I uh, when it came out that was in 93 um, I think, yeah, that was in 93. And, you know, of course, the movie didn't come out till a year later. And, um, but I remember when it finally came out, I went and saw it, and it was like the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Everything that I liked, the music, the look of the film, the, just everything about it was like, it hit all of Langley's, you know, nerve spots. Sure. And I literally, I, I, I remember, I literally did this. I drove uh, like a maniac to the local uh, Kmart, where my friend, who I knew would appreciate this, worked. And I ran up to the 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 front of the store. Mm-hmm. It was the store was closed, and I was banging on the on the glass, and. Until somebody came up, and I'm like, Eric, get Eric up here. <laughs> and so Eric comes up like, what the fuck's going on? I'm like, dude, 
Go see this movie now. Quit your job if you have to, but go wow. see this movie now. And uh, I, I I can't tell you how many um, how many nerve points this movie struck oh, with sure. me at the time. I, it, sure. Well, it was like mid nineties. It was it was we were gearing up for the millennium. Yeah. You know, and whenever historically when. When we get close to Millennium, our ideas and our art especially starts to turn a little darker. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. It was it was at the at the point where music video and narrative kind yeah, of yeah, collapsed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was, it was 94. We had just started Carpenoctum. Right. I had already been through Mortuary College. Mm-hmm. So, like, when the comic came out, I was in Mortuary College. And everybody I knew was handing me this book, going, "You got to read this thing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, from the first step, first uh, issue, I was in, and uh, the book did exactly what you were saying. So yeah. when I went and saw the film, I had already heard about Brandon's death and and that kind of thing, um, and and everyone was talking about the quote unquote curse. Which, sure, the lead, yeah, the um, family curse. So it was uh, the film came out, and uh, it was it was a, an amazing thing. It wasn't the book; it wasn't even no. close to the book. No, but um, it was cool, and it was nice to see Brandon get a get a good turn. You know, I can't remember if I saw the book before. I know I didn't know about the book until the movie came out, mm-hmm. but I can't remember if I saw the book before I went and saw the movie. Or after I went and saw the movie, you know the but, one thing. But it's it's two very different experiences. One thing that this begs, though, and I guess we have we should just address his death like out of the box, right? Uh, would the film be the iconic film that we have all said it is without Brandon dying? Um, Richard, what do you think about that? <laughs> to buy you time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Certainly, Lee's death adds a certain element to it, the same way that his father's death adds an element to Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Um, at the same time, both films are absolutely incredible on their own merit, and you have to wonder, would it have been like the film that launched him into like superstardom? With Brandon Lee, I'm not sure if it would have really had the same impact. I mean, certainly with Bruce Lee, it would was unquestionable. Mm-hmm. Um, he was already huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bruce yeah. was but, already... Um, but, I mean, with Enter the Dragon, I mean, he's exploding into the attention of both Western audiences, not just, like, martial arts fans and Eastern right. audiences. Um, he's bringing that element of Hong Kong across and making it recognizable to the Western fans. Um, obviously, with Brandon Lee's death, uh, he, I mean, he'd done Rapid Fire, he'd done Showdown in Little Tokyo. Um, and I feel that perhaps he would have just, I don't know if he would, like, done another Crow film or where it would have gone, but I think it certainly adds an element, it certainly gave it its cult status, um, and certainly it's always, you can't, I mean, you can't talk about this film without talking about Brandon Lee's death. Right. Um, it definitely affected on-set safety. Oh, yeah. That's impacted yeah, 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 in, yeah, in the yeah. most pronounced way. I mean, you, yeah. you, it, it changed everything, because let's be honest, they were they were running off in the weeds on, on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so, briefly, my understanding is this. There was a shot in the filming of the film of someone dropping rounds into a revolver. Okay. And when they they, they did a tight close-up of that, right. um, it's my understanding that when they pulled them out, one of the slugs, 
became dis, uh, disconnected, for want of a better word, from the casing. That is correct. So when they pulled the casing out, effectively, if you know how bullets work, the charge, yeah. um, they replaced them with blanks, which right. still has something that comes out of the well, the barrel. So the thing about blanks... Look up John Eric Hexham on that one. Okay, so the thing about blanks is they carry the same charge as a real right. bullet, but they don't have... They don't have the lead. The projectile. Projectile. In this case, with one stuck in the chamber. Exactly. They do. It was just like shooting someone with that actual uh, caliber the, of, yeah, right. of, of mm-hmm. gun. Uh, so I interviewed David Scow for Carp- the Carpenter books. Right. And um, he had said that they. It, he was on set, and he, they said they. He said that they immediately knew something was wrong, um, because the the gag was the bullet the. Uh, the blood pack would explode in the bag of groceries he was holding. He would drop to his knees and fall forward. Right. Instead, he got slammed against the door frame and dropped into a sitting position. Right. And everyone was like, huh. And then they wondered, why isn't Brandon getting up? Right. And that's when it all... Mm, right, exactly. So. David uh, David Scow was one of the writers. One of the writers. He's, he's the guy in the boardroom scene that gets dropped to his back and pulled <laughs> yeah. under the table. Yeah, he does. He's also a great writer, yeah. um, and he, he's an authority on things like Outer Limits and Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, And a yeah. good guy. David Scow's really cool. I'm dying. Yeah. I really want him on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but here's some particulars real quick. But anyway, so that's what the, uh, that's what the accident was. Budgeted at twenty three million and estimated, it grossed fifty in America. Cumulative worldwide gross was ninety four million. Yeah, generally considered a hit, a, a success. Sure, I mean um, it more than doubled its 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 uh, uh, yeah initial. That's you, a hit in any cost. Yeah, a- yeah, absolutely. Um. So okay, so there's the accident. Well, um, okay, okay. So we're talking about the movie, right? Sure. We're not talking about James O'Barr's no book. We right? can, mm. but well, okay. I I just want to I just want to mention for anybody who might be listening that doesn't know. I think everybody knows this, the, the the story. Well, just that yeah that oh. that 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 um, James O'Barr. Um, was in love with this girl, mm-hmm. and she got killed by a drunk driver, and he joined the Marines, oddly, because he's not that kind of... Because that's what you do. Yeah, that's not that kind of... He's not that kind of guy. No. And he's stationed in Berlin, and he's still trying to deal with this rage over the fact that this, you know, this person that was he saw as the one was mm-hmm. taken away from him starts to write and draw the crow. James O'Barr was completely self-taught. You can tell. Yeah, well, yeah. When you, and when it's odd that everything else he's done has not had the weight of no, I, all I, the other stuff. All I, the really, other I really think that, that for James O'Barr that this was the thing. And, you know, anything beyond that, you know... It's okay, but you know it's not. You can definitely tell that this project was. This project has always felt to me like his grief pushed someone out of the driver's seat and said, "Right, exactly. I got this." Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can really tell, and and a lot of the the weight and the emotionality of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Where do we By want to go? By the way, from here? do we do we assume that everybody who's listening knows the story of the crow? 
Like I do. What, what the general it's idea is. It's such a part is. of the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So where do we want to start, boys? <laughs> I got some. I'll, I'll start with a little couple of little things I just want to throw out. Number one, Alex Preuss originally wanted the film done in black and white. Wanted only flashbacks in color. Initially, James O'Barr stated on the Crow DVD that uh, when they first came to him, they wanted it to be a musical starring Michael Jackson. No, that would have been horrible. That would have been like that's ridiculous. That makes me laugh. <laughs> that really makes me laugh. Uh, One of the things that I think is really cool, if we're talking about O'Barr, is that he quote I don't believe Eric is a hero. He does no. not. Yeah, it, it, he doesn't think that, <laughs> it, that Eric Draven is a hero. Well, I think in the movie there's a bit of a character arc, but in the book there's none. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is what he is in the yeah. book, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the crow is just essentially a vessel of vengeance. Yeah. It's right. because the soul has died unhappy. And that by being brought back through the power of the crow, that uh, the soul is able to find peace by gaining vengeance. And that is basically the framework for the crow and essentially as we've seen with the various spin-offs of comics and graphic novels is enable them to have a different vessel for each time that they've the crow has uh has, has been a source of someone coming back but you know what bugs me about that is that each representation of the crow sh- should be if you follow the line of their thinking of their it logic. should be an expression of their lives Right. So when Eric Draven takes face paint to his face and makes him look like himself look right. like a harlequin, that makes sense. That makes it, sense. Yeah. In the second film, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've always said that there's a scene in the second film where the main actor is in a rain and he's holding a picture of that his son, who who is now dead, has painted. And I mm-hmm. thought, that guy, his expression of the crow should be that picture, that picture. pressed to his face. Well, actually, if we're going to talk about what it should have been. <laughs> it should have been 90 minutes <laughs> shorter. <laughs> but that thing, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, that project went off the rails and then it never recovered. The whole franchise never recovered. Um, supposedly there was rampant um, cocaine use at one point. Uh Somebody sneezed on set, and Brandon is recorded as going, oh, that was 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which explains a lot of the lackadaisical aspects as far as they'd sent the gunmaster home, and it was in the hands right. of the Right, yeah, it, yeah it, exactly. Um, when you watch that movie, and you watch the scene where Brandon as Eric gets shot like a hundred times mm-hmm. on the table with all these squibs going off, and you watch that, and then you... Think of one shot. Yeah. Just one shot yeah, yeah, yeah. is where he got killed. Well, um, I mean, it's, um, the, I mean, it was basically, I mean, what, six days from the completing production. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of the final things that they were shooting was this, this scene at the start of the film. Um, and, I mean, Michael um, Massis, who plays Bumboy, whose gun it was, the Magnum. Right. Um, he took a year off because he, yeah. I mean, he was, oh, yeah. he's still haunted by this. Because he nightmares. feels he murdered Brandon. Yeah, so but, has nightmares. But part of that is, is that the the scene was him raping the girl, and he leans back and shoots the uh, her, her boyfriend in the right, doorway when he comes in the doorway. Yeah. There's a li- line of th- there's line of sight and line of, of when you never point a gun at someone even with a blank. Right, so right, right. When he should have shot just to the left or right of Brandon because he was arcing back. Yeah. 
he sh- he pulled the trigger. And there, and, you know, Jeff Amata, who yeah. was the stunt coordinator, and and real by the lifelong way, friend of Brandon, best friends with Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is also, you know, tortured and tormented by I this bet. because once the uh, once the gunmaster had been released. Mm-hmm. Jeff is the one who rigged the dummy bullets, you know. Scow said that he and Alex Proyas, once they decided to call it on the set in North Carolina, or wherever it was, South Carolina, but they were on a plane flying back to L.A., and they're sitting there thinking, like, they've just seen their friend die, it's the worst possible day ever, and a stewardess comes on overhead and says, uh, and now we're going to do our in-flight movie, today's film, Dragon. Oh, wow. And he just sat there and went, are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Meanwhile, he's sitting there on the plane, and everyone's talking about, well, you know, his father died, and there was a curse. And right, he was just thinking, right. and I thought it couldn't get any worse. Right, right? Now right. I got four hours of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Unbelievable. You know, um, for, for, for a moment, anyways, it was kind of up in the air. It was like, do we finish the film? Yeah. Do we not finish the film? Yeah. Well, I think we all owe credit to uh, Brandon's sister because Alex uh, Bruce. Or as he, we call her here, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> we're, we're not he, a fan um, of Shannon. No, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll explain we'll that. We'll explain. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, I mean, Alex Bruce has uh, said, like, frequently, I mean, it was him and Brandon's film, they were like both so passionate about it and uh, Brandon's sister was, was like, he went to her and he was like, you know, I would love to finish this film and she was like, you know what, finish it because Brandon was so passionate every time he talked about this film he was working on, he was like so passionate about it and I mean this is why you obviously have the tribute to both Brandon and uh, his fiance mm-hmm. at the right. start of the film Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think it's really touching and I'm glad that they did finish it um i mean if it had been like the case where it was like 50 percent done then no it shouldn't been finished but because they were so close they were like six days away right and they, it was just like very minor sort of shots uh that the actual stunt doubles and digital manipulation for so what you get on the film is essentially all brandon um right. exactly. it's, it's not really taking anything away what the few scenes that they have to like fill in it's just like sort of filler shots um, that that they completed the film with, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm glad that they finished it. I I am too. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, wait, 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 wait. Did, was it? You know those things you hear in the back of your head, and you think, is this true? I want to say that I remember when we did the John Wick show. Chad Stahelski, who's yeah, the director, he was, he was the body, he double. was the body double. Yeah, exactly. So when you see like Brandon. See? From behind, I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> when you see Brandon from behind, like putting shit up, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, that's all. Yeah, him. that's stat that, or rather, that's Chad. Yeah, and then uh, a couple of the rooftop mm-hmm. scenes and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, that's Chad. That's the director, of John. And Wick. they say it ruins your short-term memory. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, one of the things that I I love about this movie is that and and as an extension from the book by James O'Barr. It's very, 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 very simple. It's mm-hmm. like, look, this bad shit happened. I got killed. I've come back. I'm going to fix the bad shit. That's it. Mm. You know, yeah. I do, I do, 
I've always thought that the changes they made to the end, where, where with him becoming more uh, becoming mortal, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Well, because I it, think as an agent of vengeance, that doesn't change until the mission is over. So, and in the book, he, it's yeah. kind of that way. So. Well, okay, so small quibbles at the time. Well, exactly, <laughs> small quibbles, and and the small quibble I had. They didn't make my Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> the small quibble I had when it first came out was, I felt like that the battle with Top Dollar mm-hmm. on top of the church. It's Beauty and the Beast. Was well, yeah. It was like it was a big. It was it was a Hollywood ending, right? We got to have this yeah, guy yeah, that yeah. we have yeah. to fight with. Yeah. Because okay. in the book, he, he he disposes him like you know he just walks up and you know hits him in the head with yeah. a hammer. You were going to say, Richard? I was just about to say. I mean, when we compare the Obar's original source material to the film, the film obviously has to follow a different structure than the book. I mean, a book you can you pretty much go a lot more flexibility, as you probably know, Tom, mm-hmm. with how you write it. With a film, you've got to ha- hit certain points. Sure. And I mean, in the book, Top Dollar's just, you know, he's just a drug dealer. Yeah. Um, he's not the main villain that he obviously is in the film. Um, and, I mean, pretty much all the events that happen in the film happen in the book. They're perhaps in a different order. Yeah, with different um, people. Yeah, it's right. characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we obviously change out the original book ending, which just is basically ends with T-Bird losing his legs and just Right. Um, oh, that's a great Eric scene, just going yeah. when he goes, I can't feel gang. my legs. God damn, I forgot all about that, man. <laughs> so one of the oh, things that shit. David Scow did whenever he he was working on the script was, for a movie, there's too many characters. There's yeah. too many. There's too many bad guys. Mm-hmm. We got to kind of. We kind of. You know, got to kind of reel it in. I think that they did a really smart thing by keeping Fun Boy. Mm-hmm. As as big of a character as he was, mm-hmm. um, initially they wanted Iggy Pop for Fun Boy. Iggy Pop wound up yeah. in the second one. There's a lot of that. The guy who was the crow uh, in the second or third one uh-huh. is one of the gang members in the first one. Oh wow! It's it's in my notes somewhere. Also, James Ovar wanted Johnny Depp as Eric Draven. Uh, well, you know, I mean, that makes sense at the time, right? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, James Abar was in The Crow. Yeah, he is. He's he's one of the but, looters. <laughs> but I mean, when you look, I mean, again, when we look at the source novel, I mean, the book basically has Eric. He's either hanging around his his house, um, racked with guilt and loss over the death of Shelley, so and hot. he's. It's he's like self-mutilating. He's doing modern yes. dance in a couple of scenes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little true. off, but it works as a comic. And obviously, we get elements of this in the film, but we obviously, at the same time, I mean, when we look at Sergeant uh, Alberet, mm-hmm. who's basically a malgration of two characters from the book, as he's Sergeant Alberet and he's the uh, rookie cop because right. he yes. looks after Sarah. Um, and I mean. It, I mean, this is what I like. I like the relationships we build up in the film. I mean, Alvarez actually serves a purpose as he gives away for Top Dollar to be defeated with, you know, the, you know, 30 hours of pain that uh, he yeah. sees, uh, yeah, sees that it go was, through. And That was brilliant. Yeah, that's a good I mean, I have to touch. say, if anything, this set the bar a little too high for Michael Winnicott because every time you now see Michael Winnicott in anything else, it's always a disappointment because yeah. he's not 
doing the top dollar thing. He was bouncing he, around. He was in. Uh, he plays the uh, Lothario in um, Curtains. Yeah, and he's, in, in that same in Curtains, you get to see the actor John, John Vernon, who played Deed and Wormer in Animal House. Right, right, right. He gets his swerve on in that movie. Like yeah. he, he has sex with a lot of people, and you're, the whole time you're like, Ugh. <laughs> "Wow." Uh, yeah. I I thought Michael Wincott was really well, cast it's the voice. Well. It's yeah. the voice. It's like as soon as you hear that thing, like when I, in Ghost and in the Shell, I heard his voice before I saw him. And, and I was that like, was That's Michael Wincott. And that was a good thing because in the book you didn't get that kind of uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for grand villain. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was like a series of bad guys, and you went through mm. them, bop bop bop, and you just killed them, mm-hmm. and then that was it. And in the movie. It's like a video game. The very, the very same thing that I kind of railed against when I first saw it. It really is the saving grace of of the movie is that you do have a main bad guy, yeah. and you have it gives a, you the mo- that by the moment way, at the end. and the and by long in this movie. By Ling, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah or, sorry, that shit crazy. Yeah, holy in real life <laughs> rap, but. Uh, uh, I love the way they just casually mention their him, her and Top Dollar's relation, and yeah. they never go. And he's fucking his sister. It's more like, is she a sister? Is she not a sister? Right. Is she? Mm. Am I really? Is it really my sister? Yeah. And it adds this depth to both of the characters. It was great. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, can we just talk about the character Top Dollar for a minute? I mean, you said already he's already promoted to main villain status. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, here he's seen as spark being like the originator of devil's night so the night before halloween the city of detroit they have arsonists go around and set low these fires and it's supposedly through top dollar vision it's him paying homage to his father who was in the vietnam war so it's recreating the burning of the vietnamese villages mm-hmm. and originally bailing's character was supposed to be vietnamese which would further oh, tie into this. Oh, so that makes but, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's obviously not, because she's Japanese. But yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I love the, her addition to the film. I mean, she has this mystical element. Mm-hmm. She explains the reason for the crow. You know, the crow is the source of power. Right. And Alex is this, uh, as this go-between it. And she kind I of... like the fact that Top Dollar has this element of mysticism to it, but it's not overpowering. Mm-hmm. Right. She kind of takes the place... In in the book, there's the cowboy, right? The skeleton Skull cowboy. cowboy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and she kind of takes that place. Yeah. You know, when they originally when the, when they made the movie, um, they brought in Michael Berryman, right? And they put him in makeup, and he was. They actually filmed scenes with the Skull Cowboy. Scramble, scramble, scramble. And then they, for whatever reason, took that out. And, Here we go. But I think that she does a, a, a perfectly good job of filling that role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was let go from production before Lee passed. Everyone on set thought the costume and the look of the character clashed with the rest of the film, and so all of his scenes were cut. Um, mm. Well, I mean, it's a very gritty, goth, uh, very gritty sort of Sin City style world that we well, have. I think, I think if you're pitting these two characters against each other top dollar and eric draven right eric draven they both have their familiar for one of a better word right right where right. where byling is there to explain sort of to be top dollars merlin right where the skull cowboy was there to be the t- 
Eric Draven's, Eric Draven's murder. murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that got kind of abdicated to Albrecht, who sits there when the big explanation about nothing is trivial comes up. Right, exactly. So a lot of shell gaming going on. See, and that's, it, cool. you know, and you know, you were talking earlier about would this have been as as big of a deal had uh, had Brandon not died. What's so weird about it is that so much um, in the character, in the story, parallels uh, Brandon's life in mm. real life. You know, well, supposedly he was obsessed with hearses and sure, he, yeah, 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 yeah. But it was the nineties. Well, yeah, but well, what I mean is, what I mean is, is like, um, for example, he was engaged to be married. Yeah, 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 like yeah. He yeah was the on the cusp there. of yeah. of of this thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah. Mm. I just like the fact that they try to, these like, oh, he's a, he's a, he's a goth, but you know, he's a nice goth. Yeah. So <laughs> we have like Albright going, oh, did, she was just a photographer and a nice rock and roll boyfriend. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, so yeah. like, you know, we have to make him relatable. We can't just have him just like the rocker because at this point rockers are still scary. Um, you know, there's sorts of drugs and bad behavior, so we have to like say he's the nice rocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ha- we see it in the flashbacks, especially, yeah, 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 where yeah. they were like in bloody cornfields and right. going for Chinese. And... I was gonna say sharing Chinese food. Uh, did you know that that <laughs> one of the first choices for this character was Charlie Sexton? Really? Yeah. Which makes sense when you look at Charlie Sexton. Yeah, kind of. Until he opens his mouth. Yeah. And then he's got this long Texas drawl. Yeah, that wouldn't work. And they, yeah. Although they did that in the subsequent comics. They said it in Texas. Which is funny. <laughs> uh, one, one side comment about the Shannon um, Lee thing. Um, uh, Shannon, I think, and Linda, they, there's, a, there's a libertine aspect there. Um, where what with the, the the way the JKD Foundation had been right. handled says um, uh, Linda Lee filed a negligence lawsuit against producer uh, Edward R. Pressman, actor Michael Massey, and twelve other defendants over the death of her son. She settled out of court to the tune of three million. So we 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 mentioned briefly earlier that that Tom and I aren't aren't really. Um, Big fans of the of the family, and and the one of the reasons why is because we continually see over and over again what we consider and and you know who well, the there's fuck, the who the fuck are we you know, know. Right. but there's the three hundred dollar medallion there's the yeah. Bruce Lee eye gla- uh, sunglasses and the Bruce Lee skate decks and all this other well stuff. the fact that 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 they, that they okayed this. Um, remember the commercial for Scotch or whatever? Yeah, there was, the fuck a, there it was? was a Japanese Suntory. Yeah, there was a Japanese commercial, and there was this was uh, CG, uh, Bruce CG Bruce Lee talking about quality yeah. and stuff like that. And it was all a commercial to sell booze, which Bruce would not have been part of. And 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 that's always I don't know. That's always it's always the wrong us. and we've talked about it a but, lot. Yeah, uh, but we won't we won't dwell on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, uh, River Phoenix and Christian Slater turned down the role of Eric Draven. So there's that. Dummies. Um, I suppose we have to talk about the other room. We will. We will in a second. <laughs> there's a couple things I want to hit here that specifically, because I know you, that I, I don't know that you were in, you know about it, but you'd be interested. Car Chase was uh, miniatures. 
Most yeah. of the city was miniatures. Yes, the city was... Mm. Oh, dude, I love those shots. See, I know where these I love are. those shots. <laughs> we're, we're coming in over the city, and it, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. It's totally miniature. It's very cold. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm just trying to see. Um, first theatrical pi- motion picture Alex Proyas did. Cameron Diaz was offered the role of Shelley. Wow. But she didn't like the script because she's a moron. Um, well, it's not really the best character <laughs> arc for yeah, Shelley, right, is I it? Know. Right. But then again, look. At, I mean, her role in Mask was next to nothing. Uh, let's see. Miniatures. We talked about Miniatures City on Fire. Brandon Lee requested that one Asian character from the film who tries to steal Eric's powers be removed because he thought it was a cliche. Mm, Talked about Jeff Amata. Go ahead. I was just about to say, I just wonder if anyone else saw how similar the cityscape of uh, Detroit looks in to the cityscape we see in Dark City, which he obviously followed it up with. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, see, and so even a little of the, in the Matrix of the rooftop. Well, I was going to say... Oh, the Matrix owes so much to Dark City. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the things and I was And the Crow s- in a weird way. Well, I was going to say, the Crow kind of created a template, uh, uh, a look that would continue throughout the 90s and the early 2000s mm-hmm. we see it in underworld we see it absolutely in, in underworld. so many things you see it in everything it, Trent Reznor it created a, 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 a color palette and and that's one you know as much as I dislike the sequels that's one thing I will say about the, the first sequel mm-hmm. which is the only sequel I saw Pro, uh, City of Angels City of Angels was that they went with a completely opposite color palette. They're like, okay, now we're in L.A., so everything's yellow. And it's <laughs> yellow and orange instead of blue. I just want to know, with City of Angels, where's Nick Cage and Meg Ryan in all of this? <laughs> but I'm on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know, when I heard that a sequel is coming out, I was really excited because, to me... The obvious thing would be the the little girl. Absolutely, she becomes mm. the crow. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. First of all, she's the one who's obsessed with it. Well, I think what she, they were with the loss of Brandon, I think they were really anxious to set up a franchise. Yeah, and they they lost their main guy. So by having her in it, they may think that it's too tied to him. Well, she, I, I mean, know. she was in it. She was. Plus, I remember she was the female kind of, lead. Yeah, yeah. but it, it it kind of reminds me of Die Hard too. Like, how often does this happen to this guy? Right, exactly. So yeah. I think it's smart going with somebody else. Unfortunately, they bring in all this other shit that doesn't make any sense. I, it, in mm. my opinion, if like when you go to do the Crow two, it's got to be the little girl. Got sure. Well, she was actually supposed to be the crow, um, but I believe there was scripting issues or whatever. It was going to be. It was. She was going to be uh, the white angel of death. I believe that they were marking nice. it as. But instead, they decide that uh, Sarah's going to come back. She's no longer the skateboarding tone boy that we see her as. Now she's a tattoo artist and a painter. Got to keep those artistic references in there. Sure. Um, and I mean, this is the script from David S. Goyer. Yeah. Who at the time, I mean, he's doing scripts of Death Warren, Demonic Toys. Um, and I mean, this is Good really movies. on the cusp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's on the cusp of his like mainstream success at the time. And I mean, he was working on scripts like Dark City and Blade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, seeing, again, the, seeing the cover for this one, and we've got the crow, and he's looking, he's like perched on the ledge 
looking out over uh, the city, and I think Underworld ripped it off one of their film posters. Sure. Right, exactly. And I thought, well, you know, that looks really cool. Um, obviously, I didn't see the film, because otherwise I would have had rather different thoughts on it. Mm. Um, but, I mean, obviously, The Crow City of Angels, I mean, it's directed by Tim Pope, again, another music video director. Right. And you can see it in the fact, in his casting, I mean, he's got Iggy Pop, he's got uh, Ian Jury, both of who we did music videos for. Right. Um, Ian Jury, I actually wanted so much more of in this movie, because he is so great. He's, 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 he's so good. Yeah, he's fantastic. Talk about, so one of those things where, like, faces and... As yeah. soon as he comes on screen, your exactly. eyes are going. You're like, yeah. Uh, Tori Amos was considered for the role of Sarah, but refused because she did not like the character. Good move okay. there. You're talking um, about for the first movie. This is for City of Angels. Oh, oh. The original script featured two villains from the Crow, Grange, and Top Dollar, resurrected to fight Ash. Goyer was unhappy about reviving the characters, and he wrote the script and removed yeah, them entirely. That was, that was a different um, idea. This was one of the first instances of a, of the tie-in between movie release and like there was a video game for this yeah. um, Kitchen Sink had a bunch of um, comics that were out yeah. with Alexander Naviev who does great artwork yeah 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 uh, the, mm. had John, uh, David Boreanaz in it it had uh, Thomas Jane in it Mia Kirshner yeah, I, 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 you know, I wanted to like it. I really wanted to I did like too. it. John Bon Jovi auditioned for a role. Yeah. Um, Vincent Perez did his own stunts for the most part. Yeah. There's a uh, five-story drop from a building. He was yeah. beaten by a whip. You know, I wonder. By the critics. Ah! I wonder. You know, I, I should probably go <laughs> back. I should probably go back. No. No. It's, uh, it's, it's, when you look at it from the perspective of where the series went from it, it's easy to be a bit more forgiving. I think also once you get past the fact that it's never going to be as good as the original film. Right. But it has, it's on the cusp of, of working, but there's so many things at the same time which are working against it. I mean, we've got the stupid villain in the drug kingpin Judah, mm-hmm. who is, for some reason, determined to get the powers of the crow and it's around that point to get stupid i mean <sighs> there's so many elements of this work and they try to put so many mystical elements of the crow in as well um with Cause, the cause fact coming that coming back from the dead isn't enough <laughs> yeah i mean ash can turn into like a flock of crows in one <laughs> deleted scene um i mean it's i mean this is a mainstream movie which features a street lynching during a mardi gras scene which i mean it's kind of worth watching it for <laughs> or maybe not. Depends what you like. Um, Iggy Pop again acting to his acting TV. I mean, he was in Tank Girl, was in Hardware. He, sure. I mean, he always seems to play these weird, rhymy characters. Sure. Um, when he does show up, and here he plays a speed freak called Curve. Yeah. Um, who basically gets um, his own version of T Bird's death, really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah James Obar said that in, in the comic, the to- crow's torso was based on Iggy Pop's. Yeah, uh, he used um, Ian Curtis mm-hmm. and Iggy Pop as visual references. Yeah, um, uh, Vincent Perez looked to Jim Morrison and Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, I, I, I agree with that. Studio interference. Um, filmmakers in the studio originally wanted to create a different, a substantially different film out of respect for Brandon Lee. Miramax came back and said, re-edit and assemble it so that it, it resembles the, uh, the, the earlier first one as much as possible. The director and Goyer uh, eventually disowned the film and said, God, I, I didn't, we had nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I don't want to really go into the differences. There's a longer version. There's a ton of them, and they're all pretty inconsequential. Well, it's just, I mean, it's, it's you know, that's, that's... It didn't make why, a lot of money. That's why I have problems with with Crow sequels in, in general, is that it was kind of lightning in a bottle. It, and, and, yeah. and yeah. you know, anything that you do beyond that, you better really go, you know, way out of the box. Yeah, but here's the funny thing. They didn't. 98, no, they didn't. Uh, 98, uh, they brought the crow to TV uh, with a sh- show called Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, you know, and I remember, I, so I remember watching this, and I remember being excited because I really like Mark Dukaskis. Mark Dukaskis mm. is a good fighter. He yeah. was great in Brotherhood <laughs> of the Wolf. He was, well, in a shitty film, but he the fighting was great in Cradle to the Grave. Yeah, well, there's, there's several movies that he's been in where... Yeah, I was in Drive, you yeah. know, the good version. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny that, I mean, a lot of people don't know Mark Dukas as a martial artist. I mean, my co-host, uh, Blackie, on TV Good Sleep Bad, he thought that uh, Mark Dukas' only ability was being the Iron Chef. He had no idea he was a martial artist. Oh, my well, his, God. His dad, Al, is a legend. Well, as is his mom. Mom's as is his mom. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, his first gig was playing Conan. At I want to say Universal Studios. Oh, that's hilarious! Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so good. But I, I love, I, I really enjoy Mark Dacascos, and so I was excited. Have about you seen Brian Freeman? Yeah, yeah, Brian Freeman's yeah, great. great. Uh, See yeah. Brian Freeman, and it's better than Dragon from Russia. I will you. say, I will say this: <laughs> I enjoyed the TV series Stairway to Heaven more than I did. And he, the Crow sequel. <laughs> well, the thing is, what? is that he, his character was called Eric Draven in this. Yeah, he was the same character. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that bugged me was he would he was like normal, and then he would turn into the Crow with, and so his face would change, and for <laughs> you know, it for no reason, you know. Go ahead. Okay, I just have to say, I mean, I'm surprised that you say you liked it because for me, it just felt like a golf version of uh, Highway to Heaven. He's sort of like, exactly he's passed out of heaven, and he has to help people to get back into heaven. Yeah, it's the Hulk. So, That's exactly, oh my god, dude, the Hulk is like, yes. Fucking horrible. Yeah. Uh, um, but I w- didn't even have a final episode, it just ended to, on the cliffhanger. Yeah. You have to realize this, Richard, I was desperate for any <laughs> cool shit. Any more it says, season one ended on a cliffhanger, decent ratings, and a good fan response. Um... They started to write season two, and Universal pulled the plug. Well, they were bu- Universal was bought out by Polygram, and Polygram pulled the plug. So one of the things about the the show that was different than the movie was that there was more martial arts in it. Um, it's kind of kind of the same sort of vibe. I can't like Into the West or whatever it is, whatever that. Oh, uh, martial, uh, the Daniel Wu thing. And it's yeah, on yeah, TV yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Badlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That same mixture of like, apropos of nothing, here's five guys with sticks that are going to surround you and fight you one at a time. <laughs> there was a, there was something like that back in the I want to say the nineties. Yeah, there was. Something... Lee Van Cleef, the master. Lee Van Cleef. Oh no, no, and no, one no, of the no, Van no. Patten. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that. No, no. The, there was something that else called terrible. like the, the that's something... so, that show is so terrible. They made an MST3K on it. <laughs> Dude, I loved this. <laughs> Mark Dacascos did not like working on the show, claiming in an interview that it left him physically and emotionally exhausted. Okay. Um, put a strain on his marriage. 
It's a lot easier to do Iron Chef. I, right. <laughs> um, there, uh, supposedly they had, the, they had made a soundtrack that never got released. It was just this one that they circulated through the to the. Uh, talking about the TV show. The TV show. Um, but if you go online, you can find the track listings. By the way, we thing. didn't talk about this, but for The Crow, the... The soundtrack the, was huge. Dude, okay, mm. first of all, the soundtrack was huge. How many workouts did I have to that soundtrack? <laughs> I, too many to count. Do you know who's a great band on that that no one talks about? Machines, huh. of, Machines of Loving Grace. Oh my god, They're yeah. A great ba- Dude, a great that band. cut is pickup. amazing. Sorry. Okay, secondly, the score... By Graham Revelle mm-hmm. is still one of my favorite pieces of music, man. I love that. Uh, you know who worked on that? Uh, Brian Lustmore. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look up Lustmore. Lustmore, it's good and creepy stuff. Both. Yeah. Both. I'm surprised we didn't obviously talk about the soundtrack for The Crow because it is still really fantastic. I mean, the ba- when you, we look at the film itself, we get live performances by both Medicine, uh, doing the only one good track, and uh, My Life with the Frill Kill Cult. Yeah, right. Yep, we yep, yep. get um, covers by uh, Rollins Band mm-hmm, uh, yep. do a cover in there. We've got uh, The Cure doing uh, Burn, which well, I used to have as my like, psycho music if I was going into interviews or just like trying to get angry about something. Um, There's not try- one song on that soundtrack that I don't like. Uh, there are some that I like better than others. Um, I think I was disappointed by the Rage Against the Machine tracks. It was so laid back. I mean, the Stone Temple's track, Stone Temple Pilots track, uh, Big Empty, that wasn't the track they actually wanted to use, and it was actually brought across on the Mighty Joe Young soundtrack. Um, wow. They uh, they took it across. Uh, they wanted a, a different song. I can't remember which one it was, but, I mean, Big Empty's really great, even though it's only used uh, when they blow up the arcade at the beginning. You can hear it yeah, on the car stereo. They're, so yeah, they're driving. shamefully and... unused. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to make the soundtrack. But, um, the Jane Cyberry song is great. The Jane Cyberry song is fantastic. I I love. I'm that. not finding. I had something on the on yeah. the score about the Cure. Not even remembering like we did. They they someone asked for it um, to be played live, and you were like, we did that. That. Well, <laughs> Burn was the the, Burn. the big single that off of that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like it got actually got played on the radio. I'm not seeing mm. it. I just hate the. How they screw it up in the film because they play this really weird speeded up version mm-hmm. um, yeah. compared to like the thoughtful, like slower down version. Um, it's the same with Crew Attentions, uh, Placebo's Every Me, Every You. They play these weird speeded up versions, and I suppose we're in the complete opposite now where we just have like slowed down versions of popular songs. But right. uh, it, it just frustrates me when you get used to listening to a certain way and then it's used in the film and it's like speeded up or edited to to suit whatever's happening on the screen. Sure, it's it's aggravating. I I will say that Nine Inch Nails uh, cover of Joy Division's uh, Mm -hmm. Mm. Dead Souls I I think was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, around this time we were at San Diego Comic Con and uh, this girl came up to the table and she was like, oh my god, I love these books and she was looking through the Carpenter. Sure. Cherry Moon Zombie. Rob came up and we were talking a little bit and he goes, yeah, I guess I'm doing this crow movie now. And I'm like, what? And he, I still have it. There are two little pewter pins that say the crow 2037 on it. And, um, uh, he was originally set to write, direct and supervise the music. Really? Um, but he was fired because he had creative differences. He probably said your, these ideas you have are stupid. Right. And they wouldn't let him do it. There's the script is available online. I hear. And it was crow. 
2037. It's got a couple of names. Huh. But if you write, type in Rob Zombie Crowstrip. You know, there was a book. I have a, I have a book at home. I want to say it's called... I, I should have looked at this before it came, but it just now occurred to me. Um, I want to say it's called Shattered... Shattered Lives and Broken Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a compilation of fiction based on yeah, the universe. It's, it's, it's a, it's Poppy's a in that. Yeah, yeah. Caitlin Kiernan's in that. Yeah. Mm. That's a great book. It's, it's, it is Neil a great Gaiman book. Is and, in it. and it treats exactly how this idea would work, right? Yeah. It's like, so the the idea of the... Of the I the, try to get a piece in the there. The crow bringing and somebody back, <laughs> you know, could be... It could be at any time in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be... Again, you know, Spirit of Vengeance. Male, female, yada, yada, doesn't yada. matter. And that's a really good book. So. Uh, I'm going to buzz mm. through these next films. A couple of things. It was, uh, was released direct-to-video. Uh, this next movie called um, was called The Crow Salvation. It was directed by Bharat Naluri, who has a film out now called The Man Who Vented Christmas. Is it the... Uh, Dickens thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the Edward Furlong one? This is... No, no, no. The no. one we just talked about. Oh, okay. This is the uh, Eric Mabius, Kirsten Dunst. Oh, yeah, okay. he doesn't um, actually use makeup. His, the crow makeup is the result of his burn from the electric hood. Yeah. Uh, that he's supposed to wear, which somehow creates Harlequin marks on your eyes. <laughs> I, no, it's, I just, it's worth watching to see Kirsten Dunst have her mouth and eyes sewn shut, which yeah. I suppose we would never get to see her do again. <laughs> being Wishful thinking on our part. Um, uh, but, yeah, by the way, in, in the first crow, that makeup, that's irony. Yeah, we from, get it from the three, you, you know, and it's like, and, but, but I, I don't think imagine, anybody else did after that. I just imagine like the script room, everyone's sitting around a big pile of cocaine and going, "I know, when he gets electrocuted, it burns his skin," and you're yeah. just like, Ugh. you know, anyone with any sense would go, clearly that guy needs to be fired. Right, but, right, right. Um, they went with it. Uh, was released to a single theater in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> 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 causing fans to accuse Miramax of, of um, intentionally bombing the film. This is yeah. uh, this entire film I could care less about, except for one thing. Um, initially, it was offered and turned down by Alex de la Iglesia, a Spanish film director. He did yeah. Axiom Mutante. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to see that. I want to see Alex de la Iglesia's Crow Salvation. Thank you very he, much. He, he did The Last Circus, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got mm. and Netflix just posted two movies. I'm a we're I've been tr I got Brian Allison watching Alex de la Iglesia films for the last six months so that we can talk about Alex de la Iglesia <laughs> at some point. Um, I love that guy's films. Uh, Eight hundred bullets. I've talked about on the show a lot. Yeah. Um, then up next was a cr movie called The Crow Wicked Prayer. Oh God. Um, Danny <laughs> Trejo. That nobody. 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 He was um he was played by Edward Furlong Ed, that, that, Crow, which is, is stupid. Was, this is the Edward Furlong one. <laughs> but it had David Boreanaz, Tara Reid, Danny Trejo, and the MMA fighter Tito Ortiz. Oh my god. I mean, I have to say with Wicked Pro, when it was first coming out, this was like intrigued as a big deal because I mean Boreanaz was coming off Angel. Yeah. So this was gonna be like this and Valentine were going to be him moving into being an actor in films. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was gonna fall like the Clooney sort of path. And Edward Furlong was going to be back, like his comeback. Tara Reid was off American Pie, so she was still pretty hot, and her drug habit hadn't quite caught up with her at that point. Um, everyone else is kind of indisposable, but 
what they didn't count on, I mean, Edward Furlong is a lot shorter than Boreanaz, so that when you've had these two fight each other, it just looks stupid. Yeah. Um, not <laughs> like to mention the fact that... fighting a child. <laughs> not to mention the fact that Furlong, st- I think he stumbles out of a refrigerator or something um, as the crow. It's... <laughs> yeah. We have, like, Boreanaz, like, um, introduces like death and like, these big exploding graphics and you think all oh, the other characters in this gang are going to be introduced the same way but no because all oh, the budget went on that one graphic and uh, it's just problematic from about 10 minutes in just the just the fact that Tara Reid plays in it I just like I... Dimension <laughs> gave the film a, a one week release on one screen and then they rushed it to DVD wow here's what's going to blow you away okay director Rickard Prayer Lance Mungia he directed Six String Samurai. God damn it! <laughs> I know. I was Love like, that movie. I know. And I, right, I thought, that's a great movie. And when you, <laughs> when you go and we're going to give that guy a crow, you think right on. Yeah. No. no that God. hurts me so bad because Six String Samurai <laughs> was like my entry point when I started from Dead DVD Hell. That was like one of the first like right. movies. It's like this is going to be the framework. We're going to look at bad movies and we're going to look at stuff like this. We're going to really dig into the surface. And now that you've just told me that the same guy went and Man. did Wicked Prayer, that, that, yeah. that uh, it bummed me out, that too. That bugs me a lot, you know. You um, know, I discovered the Red Elvises because of that movie, you know? <laughs> no. Well, but that then, weird triangle guitar thing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then the next, and the final, I, who knows if it's the final, but right now there's there's talk of this, the Crow Rootborn. Right. Uh, Corin Handy, who directed The Hallow uh, is going to direct it. Story and screenplay by Nick Cave. Estimated $40 million Wait, budget. by Nick Cave? Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah, okay. Jason Momoa is going to be Eric Draven the Crow. Here's what I don't get. I don't... I don't... I don't embrace is a six-foot-five, 280-pound muscle man... <laughs> right, right, right. ...as the Crow. Is it supposed to be a reboot? It's a completely... If they're redoing the film. You see... For myself, the only way it will work is if he starts as Edward Furlong, then he comes back. <laughs> and this is like, I am that would be awesome. I mean, when they were talking about when he was going to be like the female crow, then you had my interest. And then yeah. obviously, you know, the whiny internet started, oh no, it's another female-led oh, thing. It. It's all like, you turn all the Ghostbusters Dude. into women and stuff, and it's all like, oh, just shut up. Well, they did you know, the we're comics. doing something interesting. We've had, like, four movies where it's a guy. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. books, the comics, it's, we've had female crows, so why can't we well, have again, a female that, crow? It's, it's something new. It's that whole thing of, like, you know, women can't defend themselves. In, in, and, in fact, if anyone in that situation is going to come back with a spirit of vengeance, it's it's a raped or, or abused woman. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they do it in the comic. and Hell she's no fury. She's a fucking badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they tie it into, like, Lakota legends and stuff I like just, that. I just, I really This will make your ass itch even more. Sure, God damn Considered it. to play Eric Draven, Bradley Cooper, Mark, no. Mark Wahlberg, no. Channing Tatum, Robert yeah. Pattinson. Are you going to tell me, like, Tom Hardy next? No. James McAvoy, Tom Hiddleston, Alexander Skarsgård, and someone named Sam Witwer. Okay. None of the above. <laughs> but you know what? I think, I, I don't know. I think if you if you look at Momoa, despite how mm. big he is, right? Um, he kind of has that same, he kind of has the same fashion sense. Well, uh, yes, but but it's got to be a different story. Like, he can't be. be some, like, you know. I just don't see him with these big 
big booger hooks with a guitar in his hand. No, 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 going, no yeah, exactly. Look at me, I'm going to play Freebird. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I just... Go ahead. What, I mean, what background can they possibly give Momoa? He was a professional wrestler. And then... Well, let's say that. We already had Sting in WCW doing the crow makeup. I mean, like, it, like it was like a blade to rip off of the bloody crow. That's true. I forgot about that. And then um, in TNA, he sort of dropped that in a bit because he sort of mixed it up a bit. And then he did the Joker makeup. Yeah. And now he he does appearances because he's retired now. I, I was um, going to say, is it, is it still a thing? Well, no, I mean, he was in WWE for, like, last year, I believe it was, and he took a bump off the ring, and basically was, they thought he'd, like, um, broke his back, and they had paralyzed it, and he was, like, he was sort of like the wake-up where he's like, you know, I've got my money, I might as well get out while I can still walk, because you see a lot of these older guys, and they've got canes, and right, they're right. in chairs and stuff, because, you know, your body can only take so oh, much sure. for beating. yeah. Um, these, like, Legends of the Ring, and you're sort of like, it's like in boxing. If you can get out with, like, all your marbles intact, you know, we, you make your money and you get good. out. We just good. talked about this last week, about this China salesman, how they had to shoot it in sequence because Tyson couldn't follow the script. Right, exactly. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. At one point attached to direct this film has been F. Javier Guterres, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, Corin Hardy and get the Steve Norrington. <laughs> so I don't who, know who's supposed to direct it now. Corin Handy, okay, the guy who did the Hollow. Uh, Luke Evans was cast as the Crow but pulled out. Um, Weird. He was working on the Hobbit: Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah. Held a live Facebook Q and A. He responded. I'm reading this. Sorry. He felt that he, he was he was inclined to drop out from the project because he felt unworthy to portray the late Brandon Lee's iconic. I, I really think I, I, I think you know again this is just my opinion, but if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna do anything with the crow, you got to do something completely away Agreed. from from what it was. Pick another horror tragedy and spin from exactly. There. I remember yeah. one of the stories in that book is like it happens it happens in medieval times for example. Yeah, that would be great. There's a, a Japanese one. There that would are, be even better. Yeah, it, there's so many different, so many different. Yeah, yeah, but I think they, they, Hollywood gets so hung up on branding, and you know, I think, I think the very first Crow movie was High Plains Drifter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't. That, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, the one also the thing I wanted to mention that we talked about offline was the idea that uh, uh, I just didn't get the the first film them signing what is arguably one of the most iconic martial arts, you know, at least in royal a royal family. Right. And and just stripping all the martial arts out of out of his out of his repertoire. And but as as I countered to you, Eric Draven wasn't supposed was not to be a martial, martial artist. artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um I think when you look at Lee's movements in the film, they're very like feline, they're very like cat like movements and you need someone who has control of the body so it would be that or a dancer uh so someone like michelle yo's obviously a background in dancing but she obviously does martial arts films mm-hmm. and with lee's ability to have such control of his body it enables him to do the movements i mean yes it's more of a heroic gunplay movie than a martial arts movie but 
when you see how he like handles the blades and what and just like the way he moves like when we have the big boardroom shootout sequence mm-hmm. um and he's just the way he's moving around and when he like grabs the guy we have like especially in the slow motion sequences where he like grabs yeah. the guy and he like spins yeah. around and he's like find the gun it's all like I do love you that need scene. some of that sort of control when, when you see him when he grabs the katana it's like mm. oh shit yeah it's on now but there again here's a guy he never probably never used a katana but there he is he probably never used a gun but there he is making these shots and stuff so i just wanted a little more especially in the fight with uh the guy in the alley it was what? knives it was oh, fisticuffs. oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i thought to say every time i see this is the problem tom you can run to me now every time i see someone bring out knives i'm just somewhere thinking oh, i'm sure tom's really enjoying this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Lee both. We are, there were there were knives in it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's proper knife. Paul when he fights Tintin, and, and again, I love the line. It's like, don't name for your scumbags have grown up names. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Tintin and Fun Boy. And... I do, I do like that. Um, uh, that that particular scene. The same thing that Tom doesn't like. I like that when when Tintin's throwing the knives, he's just slapping them away. Yeah, he's just like it's like. Bugs fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're yeah. not even bothering me, dude. Uh, Victims, yeah, well, so aren't we all. <laughs> but isn't it just a build-up though to when he does catch the blade between his palms? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, sort yeah. of like, yeah, these knives are nothing to me, and then it's sort of like he goes to the the final knife and he like grabs it, and then when he throws mm-hmm. it back, yes. it's sort of like he, at this point, him and he's still learning his powers as the crow. That's true. He's that's very the, much that's on his reflex, first skill, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's yeah. Is it's him and then it's Gideon, um, who he bows at the pawn yeah. shop, and I mean it's. By the way, that, <laughs> those that are the. That's awesome. a great scene. Yeah, Gideon's First of all, his proximity is... to the explosion. I was laughing because when you thought, talked about throwing him catching the knife yeah, between yeah, his yeah. two hands, I'm just a ma- I just was called to mind um, nice knife. From uh, Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but he catches it in the air and throws it back. Throws it back. I would love to see that. This was. <laughs> I think if we're going to question anything, why is Albright still wearing his police hat when he's in his underwear? <laughs> well, that's brought up, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's not like he got undressed. I, I was like watching this going, He got undressed and he still kept the hat on. I mean, how did he? <laughs> and that weird conversation about hot dogs is just—it's so—it's like I know it's character building, yeah. But you're like, I lo- by the way, I love all the scenes between. Uh, Eric and Albright, they're yeah. they're all good. Well, that whole thing, he's like, you know, wasn't getting shot enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can tell Rochelle Davis though doesn't know how to ride a skateboard from her stance on the board. <laughs> Look at you. Foot <laughs> is on the rear. You don't. Your foot is on the front, not the rear. So funny. It's, it's more like surfing than it is skating. That is so funny. <laughs> well, okay. So in the end of the day. How are we? We're I generally we're fans. I mean, despite yeah. all of my oh god, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, evidence I think by our aversion to any thought of even coming near remaking yeah. it or what have you. I think if you're going to remake it, there is one of the comic books now, and I'm just trying to remember which one it is. Where basically, he's, um, I believe he's like a an Indian. He's killed by these Confederates and. He's reborn in modern day, and the com- these Confederate riders are now a biker gang. And I always thought, if you're going to redo The Crow, that's the story you want to do. Because mm-hmm. um, they had another one which was set in a... Uh, set in a... Um, oh, in like a... Um, 
um, a Nazi death camp. Oh wow! Wow. Which um, wow. Bar is like fully one, but um, yeah, it's Joshua in the Crow Dead Time. Um, he's a farmer. He's a Native American farmer who of the Crow Nation who adopts the white man's way and becomes a farmer. And his wife and child are murdered by a band of Confederate soldiers. A century later, Joshua is resurrected by the Crow and hunts down the soldiers who have now been reincarnated as a biker gang. And I thought, you know, that's a cool story. That's something different. Sure. Um, I do still like the female crow. I do too. I love the female crow. How about this? Charlize Theron as the crow. Uh, She can kick ass. It's a bit obvious, but yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, I couldn't think of anyone else. I I, I like... Cynthia Rothrock's too old. (laughs) Oh, it's like The chick from Civic Rim. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. And then, especially, you could tie in a lot of a lot of cultural stuff, and that's always cool. I think, yeah, because we don't get to have her play the major in Ghost in the Shell, so give her the crow instead. Yeah. Well, that's Ghost in the Shell. That's a whole other thing. Um, Yeah, I think that it's uh, especially as a thank you. Especially as a document of the time, I think this is indispensable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, like this is, you know, we've we talk about time capsule movies on this show, and this is definitely one of them. The Crow so captured what was going on musically, and, and you know, and 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 it was kind of a it was kind of a capping point because, you know, you think about it. Zobar started writing this thing in 1981. Yeah. Um, and he was listening to Joy Division and The Cure. They were like, current songs at the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he was in Berlin. It, it was like... And he was heartbroken and tortured. It was this perfect ball of... of Grief and anguish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... Um, well, you know, as, uh, as we said in Carpenoctum, friends don't let friends... Go to goth clubs dressed as a crow. Because <laughs> I think I, somewhere in this house there's a photo of me. For, crow well, makeup. for a while, you know, for a while, every Halloween I was the crow. Were you? Oh God, yeah. Oh heck yeah. I had I had my long trench coat on. I had, yeah, my had it all black, happening. Yeah, I had my black uh, electrical tape. Sure, and, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Except that I had long red hair. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard. Dude, we come to the end of our time. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And now that you're you come on as yourself, we're going to bring you back. Yeah, see, you're, that's, you're, it's all family now, and we bring people back. That's the insidious thing about this show is like <laughs> once you come on, then you know you may get a call. It's like Richard, do you want to talk about movies about pigs? <laughs> For example, I can see us doing that. First up. Shannon Lee. No. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, buddy. We will be back in a second.
Awesome. Bam. That was great. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got, got to that. We've been yeah. wanting to do that for a while. Yeah. Let's see. Moving on to second hour stuff. Um, lots of stuff going on this week. <laughs> a lot of deaths. We're going to go through them. Um, Jack Blessing, he was an actor on Moonlighting in the George Lopez show. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go through the ones. I don't remember him. Yeah, no, just a few of these. Uh, Jordan Feldstein, he was Maroon 5's manager and Jonah Hill's brother. Died in his 40s, I want to say. Really? Super young. Uh, Jim Burns, who co-created MTV Unplugged. Mm-hmm. I don't know about how much coke, how much creation is involved in <laughs> unplugging. How much coke was involved? <laughs> uh, Danny Breen, he was an actor and he produced Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, which was great. Yeah, I, it I, brought I, improv comedy into yeah, everyone's home. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Greg Cantor, he's the owner of Cantor's yes, Deli, yeah, iconic yeah. eatery in L.A. Yeah. Uh, Bob Givens, he was a Warner Brothers animator who helped develop Bugs Bunny. Yes. And Heather Menzies Urich, uh, Robert Urich's wife, she was in Sound of Music. She was in a movie with Struther Martin called S- About Yes. A guy who's turning a guy into way, a snake. By the way, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a horrible made-for-TV movie, but it was it was cool. Struther yeah. Martin is your crazed scientist, and she's like the who was the was the I guy was the guy Don was. Johnson or somebody it was like, something that. like that? Yeah, <laughs> I just remember to to promote the film, uh, Heather Menzies got put in uh, Playboy. Yeah, um, Sue Grafton. She was in her seventies. Yeah, uh, author of she was she did those like A's for Alibi, A's for, yes, B is exactly. for Betrayal books, and then her daughter posted that you know with her death the alphabet stops at Y because I guess she never did a Z. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. You gotta wonder how soon does someone present the family a check big enough to let someone else do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the big one this this week for me, especially, was Rosemary from the Dick Van Dyke Show. Right, she was great. Man. Something else. Yeah, yeah. Especially if for folks who, for younger folks who didn't see the the old Dick Van Dyke Show, they're all on MeTV. They're all on Netflix. Yeah, you can got to check these things. They're out. great. The thing that was important about her is a couple of things. She has a documentary out now called "Wait for Your Laugh," mm-hmm. um, but it talks about how she was a child star at at the age of four. She was bigger, the biggest star on the planet. Yeah, um, she went on and worked with the the thing that was important about her and Dick Van Dyke Show is is that she was in a, she was a woman in the 60s in a room full of men she wasn't pandered to she wasn't nope. told to go get coffee she didn't take shit from didn't anybody take shit gave as she got um had a bit of a part of her story where she couldn't meet a, a man mm-hmm. who wasn't put off by it right right um she opened uh the guy who developed vegas um not bugsy seagull Something like that. Some big. She opened this big gangsters uh, casino in Vegas mm-hmm. um, back in the time when Vegas was all gangsters. Right. She had just joined Twitter and was on Twitter and was really sort of reveling in how much people were like, "Oh my God, I love you." Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, she kind of just discovered this. Yeah, yeah. World. Yeah. And um, uh, was miss start missing some of the premieres. Like she would attend some of the premieres, but was missing some of the premieres. Right. Uh, and then she finally passed. Um, just bum me out. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. love the Dick Van Dyke show. The, the Dick Van Dyke show was great. 
It was really good. Yeah. And there's so much lore about it that that's pretty amazing. You know, um, uh, it gave Carl, us it gave us Mar- Mary Tyler Moore. Absolutely. Yeah. Carl Reiner it was supposed to be about him. He wrote the thing for him. He was supposed right. to be Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. And then uh, the studio was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put this other guy in. Yeah. And uh, they kind of took it away from him. Um, blowing through news. Class of 1999 is coming to Blu-ray from Vestron on yeah. the end of January. Cool. That's kind of cool. It's part of that whole era of the 80s. Yeah. That's, I think of that movie as kind of like a Heather Buckley movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know Heather yeah, loves Class of 1999. Mike Flanagan, who is a director, he directed Oculus, he directed Gerald's Game, and he's directing Netflix's... Uh, um, Haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. says he wants to go back to the King universe, and specifically he wants to do films based on Lysy's story and Doctor Sleep. Both would be very cool. I think yeah. he's well suited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like both of those books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of in that that period where I don't know if you were going to call a King heyday was mm-hmm. over. Yeah, and. Yet, those books were Man from Atlantis. No, Man from Atlantis. What's the King Hearts of Atlantis? Hearts of one Atlantis. Of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. everything after it was uh, like a Bag of Bones. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that era. That I I lost yeah. touch. To Insomnia. Mm-hmm. I loved Insomnia. Yeah, that's yeah. like again, yeah, it's you great... don't lose your ability to be a great writer. No, you know, no, not at all. So, I don't um, know. uh, yeah. I look forward to that. I do too. I think any King has always been historically mistreated in film, and it's nice yes. to see him getting the respect he deserves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve, who did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right, says that he will. They won't release a four hour cut of the film. Okay, for a film that already people are arguing is too long, probably a good idea. I can't imagine four hours of anything. Yeah. Well. I can, but it, it depends mm. well, on. Well, I, I mean, John Woo Redcliffe was five and a half. Yeah, but that got broken up. Well, what was the pieces. what was the movie that starred? Um, uh, gosh darn it, I can't think of his name now. Um, not Richard Burton. Um, <laughs> ah, dang it! <laughs> Never mind. Uh, it, it, there was this movie that was like stupidly long. Well, Napoleon is seven hours. Yeah. That, so, there's that. I want to say this uh, movie was called, like, 15-something. Warhol did 24, which is just <laughs> yeah. a camera going which only, which only showed once. Yeah. Um, Kenneth, John Waters was there. He'll tell you I bet. <laughs> uh, Kenneth Branagh wants to develop an Agatha Christie universe based on the success of Murder in the Orient Express. Sure. Based on the green lighting of Death, of, Death of, on the Nile. Death on the Nile, yeah. Um, by the way, yeah, uh, that um, Murder on the Orient Express, uh-huh. I, I think we talked about it, but it, it's good. Yeah, I it's bet really it is. Good, yeah, uh, it's it's kind of suits his sure his gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His thing. Yeah, I really think that his um, Frankenstein. Yeah, had all the elements that should have been there, and for some reason, it just didn't. Just didn't work. Well, it's the same thing that happened. You know, people are. Uh, while at the time they didn't mind his Thor, you know, it was very Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. kind of where he's at, and he's he's more suited to that kind of stuff, like the Agatha Christie stuff. Right. 
Uh, Mark, we talked about Mark Wahlberg earlier, but Mark Wahlberg says he's going to direct a movie soon, so we have that to look forward to. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that. Maybe it'll be another comedy with him and Will 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 Ferrell. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Fox has canceled the Alien Covenant sequel. Uh, there was going to be a continuation. Yeah, okay. And now they're saying that the next Alien movies won't have Xenomorphs. Which is so stupid to me. It's so weird because this The week, one thing that works, and you yeah, have to get rid of it. The, this week in particular, uh, a bunch of Neil Blomkamp's um, oh, the, art yeah, yeah, for yeah. his idea for an yeah. Alien uh, sequel. Um, I... I who knows? Who knows what'll happen? You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I I don't like that that they're gonna kill it just because I want to see I want to see David's story. I want to mm-hmm. see it played out. Well, I think it's it's such a gimme. It's like a Predator movie. It's such a gimme. You just take this character and you drop him into a situation. Yeah, exactly. And the rest kind of writes itself. Yeah. Um, and for some reason. Like Ridley Scott keeps trying to make it into something else. Um, I I think that Ridley Scott is chasing the fans' expectations. Maybe yeah. And I think that as soon as he quits doing that, we'll be good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, NBC says that they're in based on the success of Will and Grace, the revival of Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. They're talking about a um, Mad About You <laughs> with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. Right. Which, Who's asking for this? I don't know. I nobody. mean, you I'll know, tell you who. Other than nobody, <laughs> other than Paul Reiser. Yeah. Other well, than well, it's you know, it's right in the crest of this '80s revival, yeah, yeah, yeah. '80s '90s revival. Yeah. It's always twenty years. Look back twenty years, and that's what it exactly. Into. Yeah. Um, they've announced at spe- special, specific Jack in the Boxes, in conjunction with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> the the merry munchy meal, yeah, for four dollars and twenty cents. Uh huh. It includes chicken strips, two tacos, five churros, <laughs> French fries, onion rings, and a small drink. Uh, as someone said said uh, I mentioned this online. Cheese bizzle, come zizzle. I don't know, man. I just I just think Snoop has become like. Everybody's lovable stoner. Sure, and yeah. you forget that that guy was on trial for murder once. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. I I I, I listen to um, I listen to volume a lot mm-hmm. on on Sirius XM. They're always interviewing musicians, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's weird to hear like you know Chuck D. You know talk about like you know fucking comic books and shit. Yeah, and, uh, like, Snoop coaches us football team yeah in la exactly. it's great i think it's fantastic i just love it well, but it, it but highlights it's so how, weird it's like ice cube you know it's like it highlights how full of shit you are on that i'm a gangster stuff yeah right exactly yeah <laughs> meanwhile you're you know ice cubes and are we there well, yet and yeah i mean uh, uh what was the movie that came out last year? Um, Straight out of Compton. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, and, and 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 you know, I think it does a good job of showing that these were just regular kids. Just kids. They were just doing kids. their thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, David Ayer's Bright premiered on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Critics hated it, but it got 11 million views in the first weekend. Yeah. 
I didn't watch it. Um, it doesn't either. look like my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've discussed before, we're old and we don't want to spend time on. I don't shit want to spend that. Well, this is a movie. It's not a series. Right. It's not a series. Yeah. But uh, they're already. It's already a sequel's already been greenlit. There's talk about moving it to a series. Yeah. Maybe just existing in that world where magic and whatever. Uh, yeah. Outside. I mean, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, sure. At this point, um, Netflix is kicking the movies out. A lot of the films I've looked, we've looked at in the past for trailers. Yeah. Are now coming out on Netflix. And, and they're you're like, Netflix Look at movies. that. It's like fucking what the hell? Yeah. Movie. Speaking of trailers, we'll move on to trailers. Not a lot. Not as many this week. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think it's because of Christmas. Yeah. Um. Starting with a documentary on the Chinese economic bubble called the China Hustle. Yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. I, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely... Not going to go see it in the movie theater. No, no, no. But I, I do want to check it out. It's one of those things like smartest... It's, it's one of the producers the smartest men in the room. Exactly. The Enron thing. Yeah. I'm interested. Um, it's, you know... It's basically talking about how there was this huge rush to invest in China yeah. and then everybody finding out that People were lying to them. It was all bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were t- bought into companies that were like a worth of four hundred sixty million, and when they get there, it's an abandoned lot. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, next up, a movie. I'm going alphabetically. Dark Harvest, weed heist film with Cheech Marin. Cheech is another one of those Snoop Dogg guys. Like, what weeds involved? Yeah. If we get Tommy Chong's not available, we'll get Cheech Marin. Or yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, it looks okay. It reminded I, me of that movie that um, the dude, the Fast and Furious guy that died, that we went undercover in a like a biker gang or some shit like that. It, it looked okay. Yeah. Shut. Not a huge budget. It's it's basically if I if I get this right from the trailer, it's about uh, you know, hey, we're illicit weed growers, mm-hmm. and the law's about to change. And the cops are taking this opportunity to come down on the guys that they've been chasing after for years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have too much time invested in this. Yeah, to let like it go. The, I'm gonna fucking bust you, even though. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. A few... And Cheech is there, I think, to be Captain Exposition. Right, to say, exactly. Like, you ought to, you're gonna run into trouble. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, next up, a film called Driving While Black. Um, essentially, it it's what it's like to be black in America. Yeah. Uh, this looks really interesting to me because me it looks like um, it looks like it's equal parts comedy mm-hmm. and social commentary, mm-hmm. and I can't tell if it's supposed to be a mockumentary or if it's narrative. I'm, I, it's hard to tell. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's like like the the point where they drive there at a light and uh, the cop pulls up and the guy pull, picks up a book. It's like yeah. I need to do whatever I can. Yeah. I'm turning down the rap music and I'm, yeah. I, I'm reading a book now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So I think it's within, I think comedy comes from the inherent comedy of, of trying to do something, you know, trying to put one over. Right. Um, but it's also, I think it it could potentially highlight the reality. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. Of what it is it, like it, to be black and And that's why I say it looks really interesting because it, 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 uh, it explores this issue from... From a place that might, maybe makes it more comfortable. Yeah, well, for, using the comedy, yeah, but it's also yeah. showing a side of things like you ask most white people, 
what it's like to be black in America, and, and this is not what you're going to get. Right, exactly. So I they think have no idea. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's eye opening in that respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, good good for them. Next up, a movie called Euphoria. Alicia Vikander, Eva Green star as sisters in conflict during while they travel in Europe. Yeah, that's. I don't know. This looks. I thought they were lesbians, lesbian lovers. Uh huh. But then I read this. I went on IMDb they're sisters. and they're sisters. Yeah. So it sounds whatever. I don't, I'm not sure, even sure what the conflict is. One of them is bringing the other one to this commune or place mm-hmm. and to confront some issue that they have, and the other one doesn't want to. It deal looked with very them. like hanky ringing kind of. Yeah, you never I, understood me. Familial drama. It did not resonate with me. But. Alicia Vikander, who is the new Laura Croft, right, and and a dowdy looking Ava Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, especially with it's Ava Green involved, yeah, I get a little interested. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. um, movie called Like Me, woman's crime spree is posted to social media. I had no idea what was going on here. Didn't know that it was a crime spree. I was I was just gonna say what? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it had all this stuff about getting likes. The style was very weird. Um, yeah, all in all, it left me feeling like I don't know what's going on here, but I know it's. I don't think it's for me. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> now that you say that, I don't even remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Mary and the Witch's Flower, Japanimation, very Harry Potter esque about a witch, a girl who yeah, goes to school. She goes to a school for witchcraft. Um, Looks, it's it's by the guy who um, was the uh, Miyazaki's right hand man. Yeah, he and was it a, looks like Miyazaki. Yeah, it totally looks like Miyazaki. If you're a Miyazaki fan, if you're a Studio Ghibli fan, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna dig this. I would say that maybe a little Kiki's delivery service mm-hmm. is mixed in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's lots of like learning to fly a broom. Well, Homeboy seems... like animated on Hal's Moving Castle and yeah, and exactly, stuff like that. exactly. Yeah. Uh, this one I I don't get, and this is called a movie called Mom and Dad. Nick Cage, Selma Blair. <laughs> okay, so this one I really want to see. It's 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 like it, I I dig it because you know we we talk all the time about um, a new take on zombies, mm-hmm. right? And and while the 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 parents aren't zombies, they are they're affected. There's something happens, and then and mom and you know parents are all of a sudden it's like what you fucking say and they're yeah. going after their good morning kids. dad what'd you say yeah but it's mostly just nick cage screaming, screaming it. and being nick cage i would watch that <laughs> I know. it's so bizarre go to the playlist and look at look at this film it is fucking amazing it's called mom it and dad it kind of reminded me of parents yeah. In a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're with no subtlety. None right. at all. Oh, no. None no, at all. No, 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 no. Um, I, it's, it's, I'm going to bash your head in with a sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah. And it's Nick Cage <laughs> screaming and not yeah. making any and sense. And Selma Blair. Yeah. Which I thought was weird. I loved her in, in Hellboy. Yeah. She dude, was so she was great. Um, speaking of Netflix, a movie called Open House. Killer invades home during a real estate open house. Um, this looks like a straight up. Home invasion slasher in the yeah. house, all la like Black Christmas or whatever else. Was this the one where it's like you know that like uh, there's been an open house and now someone's in the house? Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Yeah. And the owners come home and they're yeah. a young couple. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it looks creepy. I mean, it's a creepy situation. Uh, this one came up at the last minute, this next one. Scorched Earth, Gina Carano in a dystopian film. Yeah, um... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, first of all, Gina Carano is not the girl that we saw in, what was it, Hardwired or whatever it is? Right. Gina's been enjoying some of the buffets, and her the martial arts I saw really sucked. Well... Okay, I'll I'll take that. But I will say that any I like when movies um, I I I like this trope basically where uh, we're taking a dystopian future and we're using it to basically revert back to a different time. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, it looks like the old West. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, I I like that. Uh Um, the martial arts aspect of it, yeah, you know, it looks like everything else, you Mm -hmm. know, it just, whatever, you know, it's cool. Um, you know, I'd watch it on Netflix. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That said, though, like, Hardwire, the martial arts, even Channing Tatum's a fight in the the restaurant between her and Channing Tatum, it's sick. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. This I, I just don't know. I just the whole time it's so hard for me watching it to not go. Hey, look, Gina Carano has a hat. You know, it's yeah. She's so you know, it's the same thing that it's kind of suffered when she shows up in Deadpool. It's like, hey, it's Gina Carano. Right, right. So we'll see. Um, and lastly, uh, a movie called You, Me, and Him, relationship comedy. Two gay women have a baby by a sperm donor, who's played by Doctor Who's David Tennant. And he seems super kooky and wacky, and yeah. these girls seem neurotic as fuck. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if you're for a romantic comedy for this age, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And David Tennant looks like he's just having fun. Yeah. And after being in like Jennifer Jones, where everything's so goddamn heavy, right? You know, that 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 seems fun. Um, seen anything? And we'll get. We're almost done. We're almost Dude, done. Dude, Shape of Water. Let's talk about Shape let's of Water. T- let's talk about the Shape okay, of Shape, Water. We both went and saw Shape of Water, the new Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, generally, liked, I liked it. Dude. You loved it. I love this movie. Like, yeah. I, like, you know, pour this movie over me <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think it it runs a little long. It meanders a little bit. Um... All of that, I thought all of the stuff with Michael, spoilers, by the way, Michael Shanning somehow becoming attracted to the main lead was beside the point. Well, and weird. While I think that, while, while I agree with you, but I also think that it was a, it was a clever sleight of hand. Is like, you know, he keeps looking at her and I keep thinking, oh, he, he knows, right? Mm-hmm. He knows that she's, she's up to something when actually... He's like he's just hot. For Look him. at that ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, which is weird. Which I thought was cool. Yeah. See, I thought that was really cool because it was it was it was. But when we get to the point where like he's he's having sex with his wife and he's telling her to be quiet, yeah. I'm like, I think this is a different film that we're talking about here. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I, for me, that was like 
That's his character. I mean, once we see him torturing the creature with the cattle prod, we right. know he's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't think we need these this additional stuff. I, I, I have a I couple disagree. of. I disagree. I, okay. I think that I think that those when scenes. You're I think <laughs> I think that those scenes really drive home the fact that this is who this guy is. Well, and I keep having to remind myself, this is a fairy tale. So when I butt up against things like. People are really casual about her fucking a fish. I, I go, but it's a fairy tale. Right. So I have to right. set it aside. Right. I love everything they did with Richard Jenkins' character. Oh, he was... The dude, pain was great. and the yeah. loneliness yeah. That, that, that being a gay man in the 50s must have I want to like. go back and rewatch it because I want to figure out if his getting fired from his job has anything to do with him being gay. I think so. Or... I, here's what a weird vibe that I got, and, but, you know, it happens so quick in the movie, I don't really have time to digest it. Was it that him and his boss had a relationship and something went sour? Because mm. I got that feeling, mm, yeah. too. I, I feel like it was just like when he goes, I want to come back, and he's like, you know, it's just the time's not right. Meaning, like, I, I don't. if it was that, the, it, the timing would never be right. Right, exactly. So either he's placating him in a weird way, or it's just like, until this whole culture advances, like, I get it. Right, right, right. Let's, let's talk about, I know something that we both adored about sure. this movie, and that is how it looks. It looks great. Holy shit, I, right? I compared it to things like Amelie oh my and God. Uh, Hugo. Man, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Just looking down the hallway towards the two rooms is beautiful. I've never it's, been so in love with wallpaper. I know. <laughs> there's so much of that stuff. And then there's the scene, one last thing about Jenkins is the where there's that moment where I make a connection with someone and and I feel like this is going to happen yeah. and then it gets just ripped away oh, from me. Oh, man. So that scene is like so, so heartbreaking. Hard. And when you when you... You know when you understand when you go, yeah, because this is something in his life that helps him feel connected yeah. or something with someone. You can the whole time he's a mess. I'm reminded of the Harry Gibson character in Magnolia. Yeah. Or or, or um, yeah 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 yeah. Uh, uh, the um, what's his name? Well, that guy, Harry Gibson, is the one that that, that comes to mind. But that's the rival in in Magnolia. This guy keeps going back to this bar because there's this hot bartender, Mm -hmm. and uh, he's really, you know, thing. And I hate it when I write. Yeah, Uh, man. The other other thing I thought would have been a nice touch would have been um, at the end, instead of it just becoming like guns blazing in a shootout. I would have loved to have seen the creature grab onto um, uh, Shannon's hand, heal his hand, and give him the epiphany that I've been an asshole. That's that would have been cool. That but instead, been cool. it just becomes something else. Well, but it was also very satisfying to see Richard like <clears throat> slash him throat. in the face. And yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to ask is. A, something that came up between my wife and I. And mm-hmm. again, we're talking major spoilers here. Yeah, yeah. Um the girl, the the mute girl. Yeah. <clears throat> Is it that the creature once they're in the water, his embrace, does it transform her into a mer person 
Or was she a person all along? That's a good question. Lost, lost in the world of man. It's a good question because, you know, she has these scars on her neck through mm-hmm. the whole movie. And you assume that that's one of the reasons why she's mute. Yeah, that some trauma happened. Right. But you're never told yeah. what that trauma is. And it would and explain her inability to speak. And, 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 you know, it's funny because as we're getting towards the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, he's going to... In my head, I'm going... Once he starts, like, growing Richard's hair back, yeah. I'm like... He's gonna he's gonna give her speech back to her. Yeah. He, and then right I don't know like maybe five minutes before it happens it's like holy fuck those are gills. Yeah yeah those yeah. Are I gills. Did, I, I'll be honest when the gills prevent presented themselves mm-hmm. I rolled my eyes I was like oh <laughs> yeah. oh fuck. On the other hand I couldn't help but thinking man the ocean's a fucking dangerous place and here's a woman that is completely ill equipped to live in it. <laughs> <laughs> Other than she's got this groovy boyfriend, but you know, again, I'm being it is kind a of a dick tale. about it. It is a fairy tale, and it but, is gorgeous. oh my god. So I mean, like here's for example, like if I mean if if we're gonna nitpick, you know, when she puts the towels against the door and stuff, a room would never fill up I know. with water like that. <laughs> but it's so isn't cool. that amazing? It's, yeah. it's so beautiful. There's a moment in there. Um, I think I used it on the review I wrote on, elsewhere on my website, but. Where Richard opens the door and he looks at her when she's hugging him, yeah. and she has this look on her face that's part lust, yeah. part this is where I belong. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a cool moment. Yeah. I'll be, I'm you, totally pissed that not one um, creature design award. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. It's like this. This How should, does this should not happen. This should be all over. The, the Oscars for, Should be. for make yeah. If no one else, Man, that main Mike actress. Hill, by the way, shout out to Mike Hill. Mike Hill, if you, by some amazing circumstance, listen to this show... You're right, man. This should this should totally you should be winning a fucking Oscar. Yeah, for it's this. the creature is amazing. Doug Jones' portrayal of the creature is amazing. Oh yeah. Um, and even by the time when we get there's, believe it or not, there's a dance number. You kind of go, okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like like I like when it was started to happen, I was thinking like, is this going to be dumb? No, no, it wasn't because of the way the rest of the film was presented. Mm-hmm. By the way, the music. In great. this, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the acting is mm-hmm. great. Octav- Octavia Spencer? Yeah, she's like, great at it. What the Although, hell? she's there mostly to move the plot forward. She is, she and is. And that's okay. She's an expositionary um, character. And the irony of when Michael Shannon goes, what am I doing talking to the help? Yeah, that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think it was intentional, but it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Um, and, and this is the first time I've seen him play a villain. Really? Oh, know. he's played a villain before. I'm well, sure. he was well, General he was in, Zod in Man That's Steel. true, and he was the he, he was in um, the Iceman. Iceman. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. in My Son, My Son. What have you done? Yeah, and he's a pretty much of a Man, master. He was in that. great in this. Though he did, there's a movie I forget. Uh, shelter, taking shelter, something like that. One thing I want to I want I want to address is that um, we expected this movie to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it is. Mm-hmm. We expected this movie to be referential to Hollywood and movies. And yeah, things and like it is that. a love affair and with it, movies. Oh, it's totally. If you like Amelie, if you like Hugo, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this is a movie for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't pay attention to the rating. 
before I went. Yes. And I was like... It's pretty upfront in its sexuality. Holy fuck! It, like it begins yeah, with yeah. the main character masturbating in a tub. Right, exactly. And and so there's some there's some hardcore well hardcore well for a mainstream movie there's there's some like the scene where where uh, Michael Shannon is, mm-hmm. is is banging his wife. It's like, oh, like that shocked holy me. Shit. Yeah. Thing that, even without it being graphic, where and they address it really utilitarianly, if that's a word. Um, where she's like, Octavia Spencer's like, how? And yeah. she sort of does this hand motion that says, like, he's got a cloaca or something. Yeah, and, something. Then, and his dick comes his out. His dick comes out. Yeah. Um, but the other part was, like, like, and Guillermo is great at this, mm-hmm. by the way. It's, it's, the movie's a fairy tale, and it's feeling like a fairy tale, and boom, by the way, Here's this holy fucking violent scene. Yeah. It was like, bam! First of all, the cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah, yeah, it had to happen. Yeah, it had to happen. And then when Homeboy gets his comeuppance in the end, it was like, damn. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, harsh. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Uh, I, 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 I highly recommend anybody... I do too. Anybody who it's loves It's a beautiful movies, film. It is. It's fantastic. Um, and if you went and saw Crimson Peak and you thought it was pretty but it was too slow, go see this. Yeah, yeah. This one it, doesn't fuck around. It, no, it no, gets no. you going right away. And the other thing that surprised me, the humor. Yeah. This movie is humor. fucking funny. I, I would have liked, if you want, if you were insistent on keeping the run time, mm-hmm. there are things I would have excised. But I definitely, I, I would have liked to have seen more of them... Her, her and the creature getting to bonding. know each other. Yeah, it seemed to it be like pretty he quick. liked eggs. Yeah, and that was the end of it. Yeah, but then, but I just would have loved to have seen those awkward first touches. I I, I thought about yeah. that, and I, and and uh, because when I was watching it, I was of the same mind. I'm like, this is happening really fast, mm-hmm. and then I realized like this movie's already like two but, and eight. But as a fairy tale, it's like. Fairy tales happen fast. They well, don't sit there long. Oh, yeah, and, and she even says later, "Is like, I, you know, when he sees me, mm-hmm. he's happy, and that's the first. What was that? What was that from? Quote unquote person that yeah. has ever the done idea that of like someone who's really seen. Yeah, 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 is yeah. a big is a big yeah. thing. Um, anything else? Uh, yeah, I've been watching a series on Netflix called. Um, I want to say it's called Myth and Monsters. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If 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 anybody's a fan of storytelling at all, it, this is a definite. You should definitely check it out. They do one of the best jobs of explaining Joseph Campbell's theories in an hour that I've seen anybody oh, do. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's great. You oh, should well, definitely, I was going to watch that. And now I will. You definitely should. It's, oh, that's very cool. It's really good. Right it's on. Really good, and and it's cool because they don't cite. They cite the usual. You know, they cite. You know, like in the first one, it's about heroes and villains um and they they cite you know king arthur and that kind of stuff but they also cite some you know like some they 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 keep going back to the slavic folktale that i'd never heard of before and it's nice because they continually do that through the series Mm -hmm. it's it's exposing you to a sounds a a little like lore that amazon has mm -hmm. that i I talked about sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i like that idea the idea i love the idea that there are people are always talking about you know are there any more good you know good stories and what have you and it's like man you go back into like folklore yeah and there's millions there's yeah. millions and that's one of the things this this podcast lore does is like tells you these little stories and you just go like 
That's really cool yeah. and really creepy. Hmm. Anything else? Uh, no. I am finishing up the a movie a day. Sure. I am not going to do this again. <laughs> you I said that for, last year. I've done it for two years, and I'm I'm really not going to do it. It's just because it, it's this daily thing. Right. That said, uh, finishing up the year with a couple things. Ninjas versus zombies. Skip it. Uh, long Hair of Death with Wait. Barbara Steele. With a title like that? It's you... really terrible. Um, it's called, uh, original title, E. Lungi Capelli Della Morte, Long Hair of Death, Barbara Steele movie. It's a Barbara Steele movie. It's great. Anytime you see Barbara Steele, it's Jim great. Brewer. I saw a thing with Jim Brewer called More Than Me, the comic from SNL, mm-hmm. where he takes over the care of his dad with Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. has him on tour and that kind of thing. And oh, wow. Sort of operating that way. Yeah. And that's quite good. For some reason, I watched the original My Bloody Valentine and hated it. Yeah. Uh, another Barbara Steele movie called Crimson Cult. Rewatched. Oh, dude, I love Crimson. Crimson Cult. Cult is yeah, it was yeah, really I, good. I dig that movie. I rewatched Galaxy of Terror just because I have. Dude, and I time. love that movie. <laughs> Sid Haig and Galaxy Aaron of Terror is great. You know, you, we wouldn't have Alien without. I agree. Galaxy Absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, watched a Japanese animation called Summer Wars. I take that back. We wouldn't have Aliens. Without Galaxy of Terror. Sure. Yeah. Galaxy uh, of Terror was kind of an answer to Alien. And, uh, 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 shit. What's his name? Alien's director, Titanic. Uh, Cameron. Yeah, James Cameron was the one of the effects guys on Galaxy, on of, Galaxy Terror. of Terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Summer Wars, a very surreal animated thing. And then I finished out the year just last night with um, uh, a, a sort of a thriller called Roman de Guerre. It has the dude from um, Amelie, mm-hmm. and he was in Alien 4, and he was in Micmax. He was in most of Jeannot's films. Right. And, those, and it, that was really great. It's a nice, tight little thriller. Is it Pinion? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, he's this dude, and there's this woman who's a writer, and there's some murders going on, and it was good. Cool. It was good. Um, reading anything? Any book you want to recommend? Um... Probably... Oh, I just started reading The Massacre of Mankind, which is a modern sequel to War of the Worlds. Oh, nice. I, I don't remember the author's name. That's very but, cool. But so far, it's it's good. And, and War of the Worlds is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh-huh. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they're able to continue that spirit. To make it work. But in the first chapter so far, it's, it's working good. Right on. Yeah. Uh, I... Saw on Amazon Kindle for two ninety nine each. There are uh, two collections. One's called The Convulsion Factory. The other one's called Falling Idols. They're by Brian Hodge, who I'm trying to get on the show. Brian, I think, is one of the best short story writers working in America. Cool. And no one's ever fucking heard of him. By the way, just that title made me think of... Do you ever read a book called The Wasp Factory? I read Wasp yeah, Factory. Yeah, dude. That's a, yeah, it's that's great. a cool book. Yeah. That, that's really good. Ian... Something fuller, yeah, no, something like that. Something like it's that. really good. Yeah, um, um, but Convulsion Factory has some great stuff. It has one of my favorite moments in in literature about um, a dude in church praying, mm-hmm. and he hears the sound as he has his head down. He hears the sound of nails being pulled out of wood, and when he looks up, the corpus has pulled itself off of the corpus christi oh wow walked down the aisleway of the church comes to him says something to him and he sees the bloody footprints mm-hmm. from the altar 
And he kind of looks down and he hears the sound of someone walking away and then the sound of nails being driven back into wood. And it's such a great moment. Um, it's in a story called The Dripping of Sundered Wineskins that hmm. won a Stoker. It's a, great, uh, it's, it's a great title. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, shout out to friend of the show and, and guest of the show, uh, Lorelai Shannon, mm. uh, is going to be doing a new book with her uh, writing partner, Vicki Costner. Um, in the, uh, they've done a couple books about kind of true his, yeah, yeah. historical they did the New Orleans crime. book. And they did the New Orleans book and then the Mad Doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're working on something new, so, so I'm looking forward to that. Right on. Yeah. Anything. It's Lorelai's one of those people. Early on, we interviewed her for Carpenter Octum, and yeah. I was so excited about it because I really loved the game she did. And it's one of those over the years she's become a friend, and it's yeah. like really great because, like uh, as we've talked about before, Possum Kingdom is fucking amazing. It's, 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 and, it's a great, and she's yeah. so good and so knowledgeable and so exuberant about the about genre that I think it's great. Um, listen to anything? Um. I was listening to the Hughes Corporation earlier. <laughs> Rock the boat. <laughs> I totally was rocking the yeah, boat. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great thing. <laughs> wow. Uh, one last thing on film. Just yesterday, the Gilbert documentary went to Hulu. Oh, cool. So it's available if you have if you pay the eight bucks. And you've seen it already. No, right? no oh, I was going to watch it last night. Um, <clears throat> I had a weird day yesterday, so I didn't watch it. Yeah, last yeah, night. yeah. Um, but we're going to probably watch it tonight or tomorrow. Cool. Um, me, I listened to, there's a new Trevor Horn record called The Reflection. It looks like it's some anime soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay. Trevor Horn of the Buggles, and he was in Yes, and he's a big producer. Yeah. Um, this sounds kind of like the Buggles in a lot of ways. Okay. Uh, they re-released a collection called Western Ballads Volume 2, Louis Bakaloff, Italian singer. You can hear a lot of his music in Tarantino movies as of late, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. Um, there's a movie out now called Kudzu Zombies. Seems to be something about kudzu, the plant yeah. infecting people and growing within them and reanimating their courses, or corpses. The movie looks terrible. It sounds the, terrible. But the score is great. It sounds like Troll 2. Yeah, the, the score is great. The huh. score is really... It, it's so elevated above what everything else is going on in huh. this movie. And then finally, um, Mac Quail did the score to this... Uh, Feud, the Betty and Joan thing, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's really good. It's I the, still it's have the yet best to of the week. That. Of all the things I've listened to uh, this week, that is the best. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So that's episode one fifty six. Yeah. Next week we've got Jason Hawkins coming on. He has this thing um, uh, out a movie out now called The Blair Witch Legacy. Right. And he's he's moving to I guess he's operating now with in L A. We're doing a lot of stuff for. You know, like some major, major stuff. So That's cool. We're one of, one of the few guests on the show that I've actually met. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, we, he's up here with us in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and he goes to Crypticon. He was yeah. at, he was at the ninth panel that we did, and, yeah. and a couple of other things. Yeah, and yeah. he's a good guy, and his movies, you know, are, deserve, um, more attention and uh, we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about martial arts yeah we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff so that's next week and then coming through the rest of the month i'm not going to spoil anything but we got some good stuff we got some good stuff kevin so episode 156 thanks uh tell a friend and um we'll see you next week for the bonus material podcast i'm tom carnell and i'm langley west stay scary